welcome to episode number 313 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos, and in this week's packed show, everyone's favourite low-cost airline boasts massive profits, a young pilot gains his PPL after only four months, and incorrect parts are responsible for a Boeing 757 gear collapse. In the military, an A-10 makes an emergency belly landing at Moody Air Force Base, and Boeing are being made to replace the sensor and camera system on the KC-46 at their own expense. So, joining me this week, he's in the studio, in the PTUK studios, as always, getting everything ready and prepped. It is, of course, Matt Smith. I'll bring my fader up, shall I? So, greetings and salutations, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry, too many buttons, not not enough brain cells to deal with it all. Uh, how are we all? How are we all? How are we? Yeah, we're all good, actually. That's a mobile phone manufacturer, isn't Mobile it? phone manufacturer, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Best of. Oh, here we go. So, it's... It, it, bizarrely enough, shocking as it may seem to everyone who's watching the show, it has actually been a really nice sunny day here in the UK. And I know. We actually, Matt, I actually dusted off the barbecue this evening, and we had a barbecue um, just before the show, which was uh, which is quite nice. Which I obviously invited absolutely no one to. Of course, um, yes. Social distancing, yes. Told my family I didn't want them round, and we didn't invite <laughs> any friends. So that was a lovely barbecue, just me, Gemma, and Poppy Cat. So right. yeah, yeah. Uh, did she eat much? Well, she's got she's she's on a bit of a tuna fix at the moment. She's um, in the process of eating her way through a tin of um, tuna in spring water. So she's right. uh, loving that very much, as you can probably imagine. Yeah, <laughs> cat food is off the menu. Right. Okay. What? Because you can't get it, or just no? Because she won't eat it. She's she's now she's she's in she's now in year eleven of her uh, cat years. Okay. And I think it's safe to say that that she's now decided that general cat food as matt will know because he's stayed here and looked after poppy general <laughs> cat food is just rubbish and she will not eat anything unless it's human-based food i must so. admit several times I, i've sort of often wondered why on earth you were wasting your money on said things uh. <laughs> i know it, honestly actually all th- jokes aside it's actually cheaper to buy a tin of tuna than it is to buy cat food well yes yeah yeah <laughs> but this is not a cat or a pet related show this is no, an aviation no. show so joining us from his sprawling stately mansion in buckinghamshire it is the king of the focus st it's of course <laughs> the lord of the banana it's neville Barnes. good evening yes i was polishing the banana earlier on today actually and, uh, family show, gentlemen. It, it, it came up very nicely. <laughs> I, 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 um, I can imagine. Uh, <laughs> so yes, another beautiful day here. Nice to nice to day to go out for a drive, maybe. But no, we can't. We are locked down. Forbidden. Uh, yes. So, did, did you uh, say earlier in a week, Nev, that you're getting quite good miles to the gallon in the? Uh, yeah, exceptionally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's very, about great. three weeks to the gallon, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, but uh, now we've had a, a full-on week at work with lots of video conferencing and the occasional faux pas uh, that went on, which was quite amusing. Um, a- Any you can that. tell us about? Um, <laughs> All I can say was that there was, uh, I think there was 287 people on the call at one point. Oh, good it was Lord. 287? Uh, yeah, uh, for the company I work for. And um, somebody joined a bit late and 
uh, was quite cross about that. That's all we can say. Do you, do you have to put your hand up, Nev, when you want to speak on a huge call like that? Um, you should do, but that never happens. Uh, right. People just sort of <laughs> chip in. So, but yeah. So, um, but yeah, thank goodness we've got the internet. It, we, this would be terrible, wouldn't it, if uh, we uh, we didn't have any? Huh? I must so. admit, we, uh, where I am in, in Bungie here, there's been uh, uh, um, men laying new cables uh, for phone lines, and I've li- I was literally peering out of the windows, like if you cut me off. I am going to be out. I don't care about social distancing. <laughs> I guess it's like I don't. I don't know how any of us will have fu- would have functioned without uh, the internet this last oh, week. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a different world that we're in, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, actually, while we're talking about stuff like this, uh, um, uh, Armando, uh, he is, uh, uh, you know, he doesn't have this problem because he's, you know, his chosen hairstyle, if you like, is uh, uh, minimalist, shall we say, in regards to the requirements from a barber. Um, but sure. <laughs> my just a wide part. Just... <laughs> Stop it, family show. I was going to um, say, joining us, joining us from yeah. Charlotte this week, as always, <laughs> is is the man who this week has been the king of all things aviation Q and A. Yeah, Come that's on. right. I didn't. I don't know if we were going to talk about that or not, but we did uh, a nice little Q and A segment for the UK aviation enthusiasts, uh, which is another Facebook group. And uh, those guys, uh, I think they reached out to us to see if we could do a, a little joint venture. So it, it mm. turned out really well, I thought. Um, go over to, I believe, Matt, you put it on our Facebook, right? You put a link to it? Uh, I can't remember. Probably, yes. Uh, if it's yeah, not, it's somewhere it, out um, there. If it, uh, apparently, uh, sorry, John, our producer, is just saying there's not one there currently. But uh, if uh, well, I'll tell you what, you can. Yeah, we'll, we'll, you we'll... can go over to the UK Aviation Enthusiasts and join their uh, Facebook group, and you'll see it right at the top of Absolutely. their link, I believe. And there was an awful lot of chat about uh, a certain little osprey. <laughs> yeah, I guess I was uh, semi-prepared for it. We did kind of bill it as a military-type segment, yeah. but uh, we talked a little bit about everything from Reno Air Races to the Osprey to some general aviation flying. I'm always usually prepared to talk about the Osprey uh, straight out of the Wikipedia right. uh, page. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm kidding. <laughs> as say. you guys, yeah, as you guys can imagine, the, you know, we, I, we don't get into terrible specifics about the no. capabilities of the airplane and the engineering behind the airplane. So most of the things, when we do talk about the Osprey, I, I do have a publicly available document up sometimes it is you know like a bell boeing document or yeah. something like that to make sure i stick to the uh yeah the party line <laughs> but it was uh, as i say it was actually like some great questions coming from from the three guys who were sort of leading the charge if you like for this this thing it was i mean there's there some very insightful i think my favorite one was uh i think the one that wayne opened it with which was literally like uh uh which uh, uh which top gun character would you most like to be Armando? <laughs> yeah. which was just yeah. fantastic <laughs> uh, yeah he asked me would i be right off the bat it was like hi armando welcome welcome to the show and would you be maverick or Iceman. Yeah, absolutely. And I said, well, neither. I was, I'm kind of a goose kind of guy, but it doesn't turn out well for yeah, him. I guess like, he dies. We don't like that. <laughs> we, right, do, we don't want that. Halfway, he makes it halfway through the movie. He gets well, to do some flying. Yeah, true, true. Absolutely. And then he, no, he, and then he, he asked, uh, what, what was my favorite airplane? And I said, Constellation pretty quick yeah without without a breath absolutely yeah. so that that was that was a lot of fun that's what we were doing uh yesterday and the reason why i was mentioning uh the haircut thing is because uh carlos i understand there's a because he's wearing his hat again which always makes me a little bit nervous is there 
any particular reason why you're wearing your hat at the moment? Um, um, no. Okay. Yes, <laughs> it involves it involves uh, Gemma and a pair of beard trimmers, which suggests the word beard. Okay. Um, and she decided to cut my hair with beard trimmers today. Oh dear. So the hat will be staying on uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, <laughs> I, I am lucky in, in that I do have a fairly well-growing head of hair, so we okay, should so. be back on form uh, <laughs> in the next few weeks. So um, indeed, yeah. uh, Nev, what's what's your uh, option going to be? Is it we're well, just going to go for a, like a number number nine all over or something? Well, I got the lawnmower out, uh, oh. and um, but I <laughs> Shut the blade. Bit, yeah. going a bit far. <laughs> Uh, so my number, uh, my second option was I bought a, a hair, men's hair uh, styling kit from <laughs> <Right>. Amazon, and <laughs> Mrs. Nev is going to have a go with that tomorrow on, on me, oh, not on her. I have lovely. To okay, well um, I look forward to the uh, pictures of that uh, later. What, what yeah. time do you go live, Nev? Uh, well, we're not. Do I'm not doing a Facebook live. Oh, no. oh, like that. okay. oh that's um, a shame. But, that would be a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> but next week's uh, appearance may be audio only due to the embarrassment. Right. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> oh no, uh, Armando. Just, uh, just FYI, uh, t uh, uh, Tony reckons that uh, that you could run rings round Maverick. They are. Look, see. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll see you when the sequel comes out. Yeah. <laughs> I did have a. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Quite. So date and time check. It is the 10th of April. Just coming up to 10 past seven in the evening here in the UK. Chat room full. Lovely to see everyone in the chat room tonight. Uh, Liz Piper. Hello, Auntie Liz. We've got Masha, Laura Davis. Hello to you, Laura. Uh, Chris Griggs. Uh, we've got Aaron P. Hello to you, Aaron. There's an APG um, show in there today. Tony S. Hello to you. I'm just scrolling down. Stephen Howland. Hello to you as well. Uh, we've got Rick Bell, the absolute legend that is Rick Bell. Actually, I did hear a whisper that we're going to try and get Rick Bell on the show soon. Right, so, okay. Um, I mean, yeah, I may, maybe live to invite him is not the way forward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just to warn him, just to warn him. We've got Armando's boss in the chat room as Ooh. well. Uh, Meg is in the chat room. We've got um, APG show apparently in the chat room as well. Um, scrolling through. Hello to you, Myla. Myla has also joined us in the chat this evening as well. So welcome to you, Richard Adams. So welcome to everyone who has joined us on this um, summer Friday evening. So it's good to see everyone in there as well. And, Lots uh, of new Aaron... subscribers this week, actually, as well. So oh, thank we you. Very... Yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, leading in nicely, of course, because it is we did we should have done it last week, but it was a bit busy last week. Um, of course, uh, uh, we have some thank yous to make. We do, yeah. We're going to hand things over to Nev to thank some very special people. Yes, indeed. And, uh, of course, we cannot do this show without your superb financial cooperation. So uh, this month uh, we'd like to say thank you very much to the Patreon donors of Adam Spink, Alan White, Andrew Wilson, Captain Jeff, Chris Griggs, Eric Graves, Evan Shue, Graham Haley, Gustav, Jeff Ward, Jonathan Warner, Jordan Rose, Liz Piper, Magnus Rudbeck, uh, Masha, uh, Matt Caton, Megan, Myla, uh, Owen, uh, Neil Lamwarn, 
Nicholas Hewitt, Philip Labe, Ray Williams, Reuben Wells, Stuart Backer, Stephanie Plummer, Stephen Howland, and Tanya Wyman. And via the PayPal method, uh, contributions from Richard Adams, Jenny Parkinson, Tony Stubbings, and Alan Loveday. Thank you very much to all of you. We really appreciate your contributions. Yeah, thanks to all you guys who contribute each month to the show. And uh, don't forget, if you want to uh, join the Patreon crew uh, or donate via PayPal, take yourselves over to our website, the nice shiny website, and uh, the links and everything on there to uh, to click on. So thanks to everyone from all of us at PTUK. Thanks. So I think we better start uh, the show as we do each week with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So uh, if everyone's ready. Uh, not quite, yeah, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's stretch this segue out even further. Uh, we're all good, it's we'll all good. Okay. just say we're ready slowly. Really, really slowly. So kicking off this week's first news story, and uh, this one is uh, not coming up at all because the link's not working. No. <laughs> oh. No, this link is not working. Oh, dear. Oh. Let's try it. Oh, that's a good start, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, somebody talk. Uh, um, I, I can um, view it for some reason. Yeah, there we go. It's uh, there's the story. Look, uh, yes, yeah, so I've got it here. Um, so it is uh, young pilot gets this. The EDP actually uh, is the story, and uh, the headline is young pilot gains license with just four months experience, which is absolutely amazing. So a student pilot has secured his license at the first attempt after less than four months of flying. Uh, Will Harmer from uh, Shotsam. Uh, gained a full... And now it works. Uh, now it works. Okay, do you want to take it over then? <laughs> uh, yes. Anyway, okay. what I was going to say was, yes, this one is in on the Eastern Daily Press, which is a local rag for our area here. And actually the story itself is a local story as well from an airfield uh, not too far from where me and Matt are. So uh, most students, uh, pilots, require in excess of 65 hours in order to qualify. Meanwhile, this year, Old Buckingham Air Show will still take place, uh, which they have each day, which, which we actually attended not so long back. Uh, but airfield manager Matt Wilkins has said that he's still see, keen to see the annual extravaganza go ahead. So this story uh, is all about this young guy here, um, who Will Harmer, and uh, he's gained his pilot's license in less than four months and his, um, the picture which Matt probably put on the screen there is with Brian Salter, his senior examiner at Old Buck Aero Club. And uh, the actual club itself, um, Old Buckingham, is one of the more popular clubs in the area alongside Seething where there is a lot of training that goes on there. Not quite so much at the moment because of what's going on in the world, but there is a, quite a lot of training that goes on at Old Buckingham. But uh, the air show itself, they are hoping to have the air show go ahead uh, in August this year, all being well uh, with what's going on. And um, I don't know, if things, things go back to normal, um, Matt, do you fancy having a ride over there one day? 
Well, I, th- I mean, I'm sort of reaching a point, actually, where it'd be quite nice to actually see some aircraft, wouldn't it? So uh, any excuse, really, to go to any air show, frankly, would be uh, a bonus. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed if it goes ahead. I think I think uh, we'd be mad to... I think perhaps we'd just go as, you know, punters for a change mm. uh, and just go and enjoy some aircraft. But what do you reckon of this, Armando? Four months' experience, and uh, this guy's um, already got his uh, PPL. Yeah, absolutely. That's perfectly fine, especially the guys that are that go down to academies and they commit themselves full time to flight training. That's completely the way to do it. And that's what I, I recommend to anybody that I ever talk to that's interested about getting their pilot licenses. If you can afford it and you can take time off work, just do it all in one go. And on top of that, do your PPL, do your instrument, you know, in the UK, do your night rating, do it all at the same time if you can afford it because you're, you'll end up saving money by not having to go over lessons uh, when, when you have like a two-week or a three-week break between flights. And the weather over there in, Euro- in Europe can be very challenging, especially for PPL since you're not doing um, adverse weather. So four months, fantastic. And I don't want to break up that thing that is keeping us all inside quite yet, but there is a debate here in the U.S. and they've left it up to the states as to whether or not flight schools are considered essential businesses and whether or not they stay they stay open. <laughs> Some states they are staying open. Other states they are completely closed. Very interesting turn in the pilot shortage sort of story yeah. with yeah. this this thing. There's been quite a, a kind of quieting down I should say of the GA flying in the area where we are here as Matt will know as well as me you know you generally tend to find there that during a day especially like today where the weather has been really clear the skies have been really clear you have probably a continuous stream of general aviation assessors pipers cubs flying over uh, and today, um, I've seen one microlight go over today. That's all I've seen go over today. But, I mean, should, the, should that microlight be in the air? Because, I mean, uh, at what point does that become essential travel? It did actually... I did think about what he was doing in the air. He, he, he actually came over from... Funnily enough, he came over from towards where Steeling is, which is the other flight school not far from here. So what he was doing in the air, I don't know. But I don't think... I'm not sure. I don't think there is a complete ban on all general aviation flying here in the UK. Because Armando, I know you guys can still. Um, I think you're you're still okay for GA flying in the US. Well, it's it's kind of different, right? So Liz is saying that there's no GA uh, up there, and the CAA have advised against uh, GA flying. That's from Tony S. So advising against and forbidding it are two different things. I think here in the U S most States, if they even, if they have even issued an opinion on it, because I I think that's such, as we say, low hanging fruit for, for the current situation that uh, it's kind of up to the individuals. I mean, so for example, I sent you guys a picture of me and Maddie going out to watch the airplane. There was nobody out there. There was nobody at the airport. So we could have easily just taken that up that airplane up, gone for a little ride, go around the lake, not seen anybody completely social distancing. So I, I suppose, you know, there's recommendations against it, but, but there's no way to enforce that. I don't think not in, not here in the U S I don't, I don't believe. So Alan uh, from Helston in the chat room says there was a guy on flight radar and a twin that flew out of Newquay and was uh, playing furrows in the sky 
over Somerset for over an hour. So, you know, there is still, um, I know the flight schools are definitely closed here, uh, local to us, but there is still uh, GA flying here in the UK. So either they haven't enforced a ban on GA flying or it's still going ahead. Uh, do you guys do you guys think that there is that there should be a ban or that there is something wrong with light aircraft flying? Well, I I mean the thing is is when the, my my argument would be essentially we're not you know we're told that we're only allowed to go out of the house for like medical emergencies, food, uh, or we're allowed an hour's worth of recreational exercise. Uh, that doesn't include five minutes of walking, fifty five minutes in a park, having something to eat. I should stress. Um, so I don't know. I mean, uh, it's uh, uh, me personally. I I feel like no, there shouldn't be any GA flying going because it's not. Essential, unless you're having to get from point A to point B for a medical emergency, in which case, you know, that's probably the fastest way of getting you to Norwich is, you know, sort of in a little GA aircraft. Um, But personally, it's, uh, you know, for me, it's a a definite, it's a definite no. Um, In fact, actually... uh, uh, John's just said um, in here with the current go- uh, government uh, guidance on coronavirus precludes recreational GA flying. So this is being observed in practice by the vast majority of the GA community, and we are grateful to them for doing so. The message we're receiving from the GA community is that they fully appreciate the need for these restrictions, and observing them is being widely encouraged throughout the community. Again, we are very, very grateful for this. Uh, I mean, I, I, I personally. Uh, it's a it's a no from me, but uh, what's uh, everybody else's thought on it? I, I can see it from both things, really. Obviously, you know, you could say that if you're on your own, you own your own plane, and for some people who own their own airstrips here within um, Norfolk and Suffolk on the East Coast, that if you are flying on your own in your own aircraft, then it's okay, but then you've got to see it from um, some, I think Liz said in the chat room, that if an accident, if you have an accident or anything happens like that, then you are then taking up resources uh, from the um, local, you know, NHS or from the you know local emergency services mm. that could be going elsewhere. Actually, so Chris has got a that. good point in the in the chat room here. There is an exception to that, of course, and I think uh, we were talking, I think, during the week about this, where the fact that uh, Chris Griggs is saying like uh, sur- uh, survey flying obviously would be work that you can't do from home, but obviously that is your job. So I guess you could argue that that is that is a thing. I mean, my only sort of uh, feeling against it, if you like, is essentially that I'm not allowed to get in my lovely C Max that everybody bought me and go for a pleasure <laughs> drive. Uh, bearing in mind that I'm. Oh. On my own, I'm not really supposed to get in my car and go for a you know half hour drive or, or whatever. So, so you know what you got to do instead, Matt? Yeah, right. Okay. Go and give it a damn good clean. Oh, you are obsessed, boy. Honestly, honestly. <laughs> anyway, uh, ne- ne- Nev, what do you reckon? I mean, oh. what's what's your your thoughts? No, I'm I'm with you, Matt. Um, you know, you can't drive your car really, um, apart from going down to the shop. Uh, occasionally to buy food and essentials and that's it so yeah. i think the same's got to apply to ga flying because the moment you go down to the flying club um and you're interfacing with other people you're yeah. paying your landing fees to the to the guy in the uh, uh in the in the main club house as it were um so yeah i i, I think it's got to be a blanket ban just as if it was a, a yeah. motor vehicle so again, Alan from Helsden, he's saying it's a bit like the idiots that want to surf and forget that the RNLA may actually have to come out and rescue them. Because once again, you are, you are putting uh, 
people unnecessarily at risk, if you like. Um, but by doing so, I, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, we should probably move on. So the next story, Matt, this, this one amuses me. So in, in, the, in the world that we currently all live in at the moment where everything is doom and gloom, there's one airline that's still beaming. <laughs> Indeed. So it is from the theirishtimes.com uh, and the headline is Ryanair still expects to make a 1 billion euro profit in the 2020 financial year. So... Uh, well, only they would uh, be able to do that, I suspect, wouldn't it, really? So anyway, as I say, this is the Irish Times. And they are saying Ryanair expects to make a 300 million euro uh, charge uh, relating to the impact of uh, COVID-19 on its business and has said it cannot provide any profit guidance for the year to the end of March 2021 because of uncertainty around when restrictions in various countries will be lifted. The Irish airline said it expected to report profit after tax of between 950 million and 1 billion euros for the year to the end of March at uh, the lower end of its previous guidance in January as it anticipates its fleet to remain largely grounded this month and next. Ryanair shares traded up marginally in Dublin and London in spite of the downbeat trading statement. Uh, the budget airline said uh, its traffic fell in March uh, by 48% to 5.7 million passengers as a result of the response of EU governments to the spread of said virus, which has included widespread flight bans and uh, travel restrictions. Full-year traffic for the airline is is therefore up just 4% to 149 million passengers, lower than the 154 million passengers the airline had hoped to achieve. Uh, Ryanair now operates fewer than 20 daily flights, uh, which is insane, isn't it, when you think how big their network is, and it's fewer than 20 daily flights, a figure that is 99% lower than its uh, pre-virus schedule of more than 2,500 flights a day. It expects its fleet to remain largely grounded for at least April and May. As a result of the grounding, Ryanair estimates it will have to uh, take an exceptional charge of around about 300 million euros because of the ineffectiveness of its hedge, uh, fuel hedging for this year. Ryanair has one of the strongest balance sheets in the industry with year-end cash equivalents of 3.8 billion euros and 327 that's 77% uh, of the group's uh, owned fleet, uh, un un unencumbered and debt-free. Wow, that's an amazing statement, isn't it? The airline said in a stock exchange update on Friday. So it's it's important to note here that these figures are obviously for the last financial year that they're talking about here. So obviously this isn't uh, uh, this isn't uh, as a result of uh, what's going on at the moment. Basically, so last year they did all right. I think it's safe to say. <laughs> Good on them. At least they've got that to put under their belt. Well, yes, absolutely. You know, you'd like to think that they'd be one of the few airlines that will be able to survive this, you know, I guess. But uh, there we are. So, Nev, moving on to you for the next story. And this, this, is, a, this is one of those nice, giving back, generous, feel-good kind of stories. 
Hmm, yes. About time we have one of those, isn't it? It's all been a bit negative over the last few weeks. Well, this is on the AINonline.com, and it says that uh, responding to the COVID-19 pandemic, AirBP is providing free jet fuel for a number of UK air ambulance helicopter services during the month of April. The services include Great Western Air Ambulance Charity, Midlands Air Ambulance Charity, Wales Air Ambulance Charity, and Yorkshire Air Ambulance. Yorkshire Air Ambulance and Greater Western Air Ambulance receive fuel directly from AirBP, whilst uh, Wales Air Ambulance and Midlands Air Ambulance Charity are supplied by BP customer Babcock International. This follows BP's earlier announcement that it's supplying free fuel to the UK's emergency services ground transport vehicles. Uh, we are pleased to play a small part and support these emergency services uh, service organisations as they continue to provide a critical service to communities in these difficult times. Our commitment to safe, reliable fueling operations remains unwavering, and we're grateful for the hard work of our frontline AirBP operators who continue to enable us to meet the standards and the needs of our customers, says AirBP CEO John Platt. The helicopter air ambulances are based in Almondsbury in Gloucestershire, uh, Strencham in uh, Shropshire and Cosford, Worcestershire, Daffin in uh, Carmarthenshire, and Topcliffe. North Yorkshire, uh, Nostal Priory in West Yorkshire, and in Yorkshire itself. So that's um, that's a nice story. So um, it will enable them to uh, operate at a much lower cost, which is uh, great news, isn't it? It is. Yeah, what it's, what it's a nice. lovely thing to do. What a yeah. lovely thing to do, isn't it? It's. Uh, uh, it's a service that none of us hope we'll ever need. But um... however, how about this for a. Um, what, what shall I say? Uh, some thought-provoking stuff. When I was reading that, the word charity was mentioned an awful lot, wasn't it? Right. And we know a lot of people that give to these charities to keep these aircraft operating. Yeah. In my book, they shouldn't be a charity. They're a, a necessary service and should be properly funded, I think. I, I, I agree with you, actually. I think it's wrong in some respects that you have to sort of rely on charities for what is a service that uh, is uh, cer certainly here in the East, because, I mean, obviously we're a very rural community. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you do need, you know, specialist care, like, for example, if you've had a brain injury, uh, the best place to go around here is Adambrooks. Obviously, now that's Cambridge. It's not that far away, but, it, you know, in a, in a road... It's a fair drive. It's a fair old drive, isn't it? And this yeah. is the thing. And then quite often, um, you know... You you can do that flight very quickly in an air ambulance. And as Nev says, I mean, it's it's sort of wrong, really, in some respects, that you have to rely so heavily on the generosity of the general public. The same with the, rule, keep... the, the RNLI, though. Yeah, the uh, Agreed, yeah. It, it's all, all funded by donations and, yeah. and kind of and, from people and, and that, stuff. And it uh, shouldn't be. Exactly. Shouldn't that's be. exactly what uh, Aaron in the chat room has just said. He said, like, you know, exactly that, like the RNLI. It's, it's, it's not right, really, is it? No. Not at all. Armando, and over in the US, obviously you, you've got the Coast Guard and stuff. Is that all paid for by, by the government? The US Coast Guard is all government operated and, uh, and funded. So that's, but that's mostly going to be for maritime rescue, some inland stuff, but our private air ambulance companies are, are just like in the UK. It's a, it's a private company that is funded either by a hospital system uh, it's not donations. That's that's incredibly generous there in the UK, and I always thought that was really interesting. But no, here here in the US, there are, there are largely subcontractors to a large healthcare system. 
The meta, the medevac ones, not the Coast Guard. No, it's a shame it has to be like that in the in the UK. But there we go. That's how things are here. Mm. Moving swiftly on though to the next story, Armando. This is something we covered back in episode three hundred and five. But you've got um, an update on this story. Yeah, as is common, we usually get an update about a, a year after the fact or, or something or, you know, investigation updates. But uh, earlier this year on February 7th, there was an Icelandic Air, sorry, Iceland Air, uh, Boeing 757-200 that was traveling from Berlin to Keflavik. Uh, its right landing, near, right landing gear collapsed at uh, Keflavik International. Uh, passengers reported that the aircraft bounced as it landed. It is uh, said to have occurred at the second touchdown. My dogs are being crazy right now. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. The authorities have completed their investigation and have made some interesting findings, which say that near the scene of the incident, they found that the swivel nut and an associated washer were missing from the immediate scene. Uh, these components were located near the aircraft's touchdown point. A locking bolt for the nut was also have was also found to have sheared off. Uh, the seven examination of the 757 revealed that the side strut of the landing gear had detached from the shock strut. The side strut connected to the hip bones connected to the uh, arm bone and all that stuff. So th there's some pictures on here. It seems like there was a uh, an engineering failure or maybe a, a metal fatigue failure where one of the Components ho holding the over center leg to the main gear strut uh, failed, and that allowed the main strut to basically do a, a split out the side of the airplane and uh, cause it to collapse. So, so yeah, it's yeah. Essentially, what it sounds like is that the wrong uh, the wrong nut was basically used as too big, basically to uh, to hold it on to the wheel for some reason. I, 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 I it sort of amazes me that the, the wrong parts uh, could be um, sort of I don't know. Is it the the you know the the right tray was taken out, but the wrong nut was in it? I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's possible. Uh, it's possible that, that something like that could have happened. It's almost like here in the U.S. Well, anywhere. If you go to a hardware store and you're looking for a, you know, a, a 10 millimeter nut, and there just happens to be one. But, geez, you know, this this kind of brings up the the engineering slash mechanic question of does I, does everybody need to be monitored while they're doing their work? So somebody put that on there at some point while they were servicing it. I mean, there is somebody that comes behind and signs off the work that has been done, but some of these times or some of these uh, aircraft have so much work when it goes into phase that it's almost impossible. You have to trust your employees at some point. So I think this one is probably going to end up being a human error thing. Yeah. This was a 20, just over 20 year old airframe. This was um, started off life. Actually, this one started off life with Iberia. Um, back in 2000, um, moved over to another Spanish carrier in 2006, then moved to Iceland Air in 2007, was leased to Ghana International Airlines in 2007, um, and then put back into Iceland Air's fleet back in um, November in 2007, um, mm -hmm. and obviously that had the gear collapse. So it's uh, it's got a few miles on the clock, and it's had a few owners, but... Um, 
Yeah, maintenance. It's all about the maintenance. Uh, the, on the subject of maintenance, actually, Armando, there's a complaint uh, from the chat room in regards to the display that's behind you. Uh, and uh, it's your London clock, mate. It's it's an oh. hour out. You haven't changed it to PSC. You guys did. <laughs> you guys did spring forward. Yes, we no, did. No, <laughs> no wonder I'm always an hour late to everything we do. <laughs> <laughs> there we are. I can't, as you say, that's the amazing thing about our listeners, isn't it? Nothing gets past them at all, does it? <laughs> no. That's, that's why we have the chat room. That's well, this why is we it. Have the chat Absolutely. Room. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Richard Adams is suggesting maybe he runs permanently on Zulu. I mean, that that's not that's not such a daft suggestion, actually, is it? <laughs> But yeah. uh, there we are. Yes. Yeah, so uh, our mother will put that right forthwith and without haste. Uh <laughs> so moving on to the next story now. This story we were chatting about in our pre-production or show meeting. Um, yes, is it yesterday or today? I can't remember now. The day is just yesterday, mate. Yesterday, yesterday, yeah. Yesterday, yesterday. about three p.m. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> honestly, uh, that, I, I actually this morning when we were out having our, our walk, I said to Gemma, I said, uh, "Oh, you know, is it, um, is it is it Sunday? No, no, it's no, it's not. It's Friday. It's Friday today. <laughs> it's the days, I tell you. But anyway, like this Christmas. next story. It's Christmas, yeah, all over again. But this next story is fantastic. The pictures, honestly, you've got... Matt, I'll put these on the screen when I read the story. But the, um, I think this is a vehicle that I think most of our listeners would love to own. So this um, this story on the businessinsider.com, and uh, this is all about a vehicle known as the Lear Mousine. Now, I say Lear as in a Lear jet. But uh, also known as the Lear Mousine, it's a working driving bus based around a Learjet fuselage. Now, it's going to be up for grabs at uh, Mercum Auctions in the 2020 event in June, if it still goes ahead, uh, should the auction uh, still go as scheduled. So the limo jet was built by Chicago-based Exotic Coach. Uh, it took 40,000 hours uh, of work to put together and two years of research and development to create. The limo jet is powered by a 400 horsepower 8.1 liter V8 that's found in some Chevrolet trucks. Drive visibility likely isn't great, but there are four screens uh, on the flight deck, if you want to call it the flight deck, uh, to uh, see what's going on on all the blind spots and plane style toggle controls in the ceiling. The switches that control interior exterior features include the 17,000 watt, and I said 17,000 watt, speaker system uh, inside and out, and the 42 inch flat screen TV. Uh, the 42 inch uh, long and eight feet wide uh, vehicle, the limo is likely to be a bit uh, unwieldy for streets uh, in city streets. But the tail fin, uh, according to the story, the tail fin can be folded if the vehicle ever needs to squeeze into a tight space. The seller is also including in the sale a Chevrolet 2500 or 2500 HD and a 44-foot trailer to pick the vehicle up. Now, Matt's been putting the pictures on the screen for those of you watching in the world of YouTube and uh, it's safe to say, guys, I think um, if you drove this vehicle through, I think, any town in the world, you would probably get quite a head turn. You know what's really interesting about this? The door's on the wrong side. <laughs> is it? They must have. It really is. The door on the Learjet is on the other side. So I wonder if they had to close that up 
and remanufacture a different hole for it or it's I'm interested as to why the door has moved from one side to the other. Is it because of uh, it being um, sort of it's for the American market? Obviously, the door needs to open on the right-hand side. Maybe I don't know. Maybe uh, it could be something as simple as that, couldn't it? Yeah. I, mean, I, th I think this is amazing, though. Honestly, that the, the, the time and effort that's gone behind, you know, to to do this. I think as the limo business goes. Um, I wouldn't mind being picked up from the airport in this. I mean, I don't know what the rules are in 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 the states, but here in the UK, you would you would require uh, to have the the, the license that I've got, which is a coach driving license, in order to be able to <laughs> to drive something like that around. I don't know what the rules are like in the states. <laughs> much bigger vehicles. I mean, some of these yeah. RVs that I've seen are, are, are monstrous things that you I used to have a, a twenty seven thousand pound forty two foot RV, and I required no special training for it whatsoever. What? That's... At the time, I had a te had a Texas driver's license there, so oh no, there's an RV exemption, so you're you're good. Yeah, I mean, my my, my favourite uh, comment uh, from the chat room here was uh, uh, from Tony. That's literally uh, that's perfect for Matt's school runs. I think that would uh, go down really well. I think I'd, I'd certainly be very popular. Uh... Well, we have our we have our very own uh, PTUK Learjet limo jet. Uh, oh, driver, yeah. which is Laura Davis, who says she's got a chauffeur license. Ah, well, so, there we are. Yeah. She's got it. We've got a driver. She also yeah, says. She, she also says, "I'm sure that would be very affordable." Uh, <laughs> which I, I don't. We need to follow this but... auction. We need to follow this auction just right. in case we can. Okay. Um, well, I mean, none together. of us have got anything to do for the foreseeable future, so uh, yeah, let, let's all do that. Yeah, <laughs> let's have a watch party, shall we? <laughs> I think you should be driving this, so Matt. You know, you're used to driving. Um, how how long is your coach? Uh, it's uh, it's about forty foot, so yeah. So it's no, not, there we go. Yeah, not a million miles uh, away from from that. To be fair, a lot lower though. <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah. Lower, and a, and a bit and a bit more luxurious. Yeah. I, I can actually I can see this as being Neb's chosen choice. Oh really? Limo. Oh, mm. can you? Yeah. Oh. I just yeah. have to change the color, obviously. Uh, um, right, yeah, yeah, red is fine. not good, is it? No, not good for you. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, are are we are we acknowledging that we have an intruder? In our no, I thought I thought we'd ignore it <laughs> <laughs> because I, I feel like uh, flying a T tail with two engines. Uh, sorry, driving a T tail with two engines in the back yeah. would be very familiar for the intruder that we have in our. Oh in our really? Okay, uh, intruder, identify yourself. <laughs> Hello there. Um, <laughs> I fly, not drive. Well, I actually do both. <laughs> Uh, now, would would this Learjet be the, or this Learmazine be of interest to you, Jeff? Well, you know what? I just I kind of got into the conversation a little bit late, so I really have no idea what you're talking okay, about. Okay, good, but lovely. <laughs> I can vouch for the fact that uh, renting that big giant RV that we had at Oshkosh oh, yeah. um, did not require any kind of a special license for me either. I really thought, well, that. Really? I don't have to have a <laughs> yeah. commercial driver's license yeah. to drive that thing? Are, are you sure I don't need to just go out on some kind of random sort of, you know, drive round the yard type thing? You know, sort well, the of, guy uh, yeah. that I rented it from, he did, you know, take me around the oh, block right. or two just to make sure I knew what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. It was feet long. I know. I remember when Jeff and Nick were about to pick that thing up, I just sent them a text that said, uh, hey, when you're making turns, just make sure that whatever you're trying not to hit is past your hips and you should be fine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but the thing is, though, you know, as an airline pilot, we know how to oversteer because that's, you know, that's what we do. You know, that's how we taxi airplanes around. 
I guess I actually genuinely though, all jokes aside, I mean, because it's one of the, the one of the when I first learnt to drive a coach, one of the things that took me so long to get my head round was the fact that the wheels aren't in front of you; they are essentially in row two behind you uh, from a driver's <laughs> point of view. So, uh, like when you when you first go out, you've basically look like you're going to hit everything before you then go around the corner, and that's right. the thing that took me the most amount of time to get used to. But uh, I mean, I, I dare say it's no no different to where when you're sort of taxiing on on runways and things especially in the you yep. know the, the the mad dogs and things it must be uh, it must be quite similar yeah it is uh, so i was right at home driving that big old <laughs> rv bit of um, uh, useless information possibly as well that the uh, when concord was uh, operational um it, that was quite tricky lining up on the runway because the uh, where the pilots were sitting were 35 feet ahead of the nose wheel so they had to overshoot the runway centerline somewhat and go up over the grass before they could uh, make the turn to line up. I think the uh, L-1011 was something like close to 30 feet as well. Yeah. Wow. I, 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 unfortunately, uh, one of my friends is actually watching. So uh, hello, Geordie, if, uh, he, if you're still watching. And he, he, the comment he said on here was literally tell him about the brakes, mate, because it was uh, uh, the only accident I've ever had involved me applying the brakes a bit too sharply once. So I put uh, some, somebody uh, might have hit the windscreen. But anyway, we'll gloss over that. Yeah, thanks, Geordie. Limitations. Yeah. <laughs> Statue of limitations. Yeah, quickly. Write that down. So, Pretend that never next happened. story. Yeah. Moving on, Matt, if you're ready, this, uh, God, this next no. story is... Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I'll do a massive segue, don't panic. Lovely, so keep the, talking. The next story is uh, on the AIN Online, and um, it's all about um, the uh, Boeing um, having another spot of bother with losing a certain max order. Yes, indeed. So this is... Um... Well, it's the AIN online is the source that it's come from. And uh, basically, uh, the headline is Leasing Group Avalon uh, cancels big Boeing Max order. So Dublin-based leasing company Avalon has cancelled an order for 75 Boeing 737 Max jets scheduled for delivery from 2020 to 2023. Uh, the lesser said early last month, dealing uh, another blow to the US aerospace, or airspace, sorry, um, Giants doubled, uh, troubled narrowbody program Avalon, uh, which uh, hasn't yet placed any of the airplanes uh, with operators. Operators also said it had rescheduled delivery of another or rescheduled delivery of another 16 MAX jets to 2024 or later. Uh, we are a well-capitalised uh, business and ended the quarter with unrestricted cash and undrawn secured warehouse facilities in excess of $5 billion. That's an alarming amount of money, uh, said uh, Avlon uh, DEO. So it's, uh, it was uh, Donal uh slattery in a written statement uh building on our strong capital base we have acted swiftly and decisively to address the market outlook and have reprofiled elements of our order book to better align with uh, market conditions. The net impact of our actions in the first quarter is to reduce our aircraft commitments in the 2020 to 2023 timeframe from 284 aircraft as uh, it uh, as at year end to 165 aircraft today, and therefore thereby, sorry, I haven't had a drink this evening. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> uh, significantly reducing our near term 
firm capital uh, commitments, said Slattery. Boeing, for its part, stressed the fact that Avalon still holds unfilled orders for 55 MAX jets out of a backlog of more than 4,300 units. Uh, we have had ongoing conversations with Avalon uh, regarding their 737 MAX portfolio and the impacts from the past year. Boeing said in a statement to AIN, uh, we have come to a mutual agreement to restructure Avalon's MAX order book as we have produced fewer MAX airplanes than we'd planned. We have implemented these adjustments to regain flexibility in managing the more than 4,300 unfilled 737 MAX orders. This is also the right step to align the reality of the marketplace as we balance supply and demand and protect the 737 MAX underlying value, uh, especially in the leasing sector. We appreciate Avalon's ongoing commitment to the 737 MAX program with 55 unfill orders and we look forward to delivering those jets. Avalon has received requests for more than 80% of its current customer base for relief from their obligations. These account for more than 90% of Avalon's annualised contracted cash flow. Um, uh, having said that, Avalon said it expected to agree to some form of short-term rent deferral agreement with the majority of its customers. Uh, interestingly, though, so, so bad news really for Boeing. Uh, not that bad uh, over in the world of Airbus, act uh, actually, uh, where Airbus are saying that they record 15 A350 cancellations but reveal uh, an order for 10. So they're sort of only down, only down by five, I guess. So Airbus has recorded cancellations of 15 A350s as well as four A330neos during March, although it secured a firm agreement for 10 A350s from an undisclosed customer. I always like that when they say undisclosed customer. It sounds like somebody's, you know, it's like they're buying one under the counter. Uh, six uh, A350-1000s and four A350-900s from Latin America's LATAM are part of the cancellation. Five A350-900s ordered by Kuwait Airways has also been removed from the backlog, although these aircraft have had already been due for cancellation after the airline signed for the A330neos. Airbus's latest backlog revision shows that four A330-900s for lesser Avalon, the leasing company we just talked about, uh, have been cut. Airbus took gross orders for 356 aircraft during the first three months of the year with a total of 66 cancellations. There was a frightening amount of numbers in there, so I hope everybody got their head around that. <laughs> I've got another one for you. Um, Avalon, obviously, they're based in Dublin, Ireland, the leasing company. Yes, yes. As of the 31st of March this year, they have got 855 aircraft on their books that they manage. Hey, I actually have a question for Jeff since we have him on the show. So regarding this story, and there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of airplanes parked all over the country, how do you, how do you think that's going to affect the the new orders for you know for this year and and manufacturing and especially you know like this story a lot of airplanes are leased how do you how do you think that parking all these airplanes is going to affect aircraft deliveries or manufacturing that's going to be a, a big mess i think <laughs> i'm not sure how uh, how they're managing this whole thing uh, i'm i'm sure we have great teams on it right now looking into that but uh, yeah i i really I'm glad that I don't have that job. <laughs> Definitely. Oh dear. I, I mean, do you? Th is there ever going to be any light at the end of the tunnel when it comes comes to this? I mean, I suppose uh, in in light of the way things are at the moment, uh, 
in some respects, of course, a lot of companies are not missing the fact that they haven't got their hands on these maxes. Um, it's uh, in some respects, I, I would almost go so far as to say it's doing them a bit of a favour, really, if they aren't, uh, you know, they're not paying for the storage of these things while uh, while they're waiting for for the the airways to reopen again. Yeah, that that's a good point, man. I had a Southwest pilot that uh, was non-repping on my aircraft list last week. And he was talking exactly about that, about how it's actually a good thing that they didn't have the maxes delivered because they're having to park so many of their current fleet and they're mm. cutting back so much that that's actually kind of working out in their favor. Definitely. Yeah, agreed. So, Nev, we're, uh, we're all looking forward to the future, I think, uh, everyone in the world, because, you know, the current times are a bit testing. But Nev, moving on to the future and um, of what's going on with hypersonic stuff. Yeah, it's on the space.com website. Uh, if I get to the end of this story without interruption, I'll be surprised. I've never seen so many adverts on a page in my <laughs> life. It's not the Daily Mail again, is it? <laughs> we'll see how we go. It's the sun. Oh, is that yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> uh, well, it says that uh, Strato Launch plans to provide hypersonic test flights for a variety of customers. Uh, and uh, the company which uh, Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen established in 2011 originally planned to launch satellites using the aircraft, which has a wingspan of 385 feet, 117 meters. Allen died in 2018 and Strato, Strato launch was sold last year, raising questions about the company's future. Some of those questions have now been answered, though. Strato Launch's website now reveals that the company has reinvented itself as a builder, tester and operator of hypersonic vehicles, those that can travel at least five times the speed of sound, or Mach 5. Our hypersonic test beds will serve as a catalyst in sparking a renaissance in hypersonic technologies for our government, the commercial sector, and academia, Strato Launch's CEO, Gene uh, Floyd, said in a statement uh, on the company's website. Uh, the huge plane is the key to this new mission, hauling vehicles aloft to test various payloads in the extreme environments imposed by hypersonic flight. Those vehicles will include Stratolaunch's Talon A, a 28-foot-long, 6,000-pound reusable craft capable of reaching Mach 6. Talon A will conduct long-duration uh, long duration flights at high Mach and glide back for an autonomous horizontal landing on a conventional runway. Uh, Strata launches description of the craft states. It will also be capable of autonomous takeoff under its own power via a conventional runway. The huge dual fuselage plane, which used to be called Rock, but is now apparently known as the Strato Launch Carrier, will be able to haul three Talon uh, A's aloft at a time, allowing the collection of lots of data and uh, company representatives said. Talon A isn't the end of the envisioned road for Strato Launch, however. The company is also developing the Talon Z, uh, about which it divulges little on the website, and uh, another vehicle called Called Black Ice, which could end up flying some very interesting and ambitious missions if everything goes according to Strato Launch's plan. Black Ice is a fully reusable space plane that enables advanced on-orbit capabilities and cargo return, the company's website reads. Initial designs optimised for cargo launch with a follow-on variant capable of transporting crew. Black Ice doesn't come completely out of left field, though. In August 2018, before Alan's death, 
where Strato launched announced plans to uh, use four different l- satellite launching vehicles with this huge aircraft, including an orbital space plane. Uh, Strato launch carrier has just one flight under its belt, which is a two and a half hour test flight that took place in April April 2019. So this is a, a very interesting uh, development here. So. Um, yeah, speeds of Mach 5 and Mach 6 are being talked about here, and those, those are just eye-watering, aren't they? So, so, so uh, forgive my, naive, my, my lack of understanding here. So uh, Concorde, obviously, which is the only thing that jumps into my head in regards to, uh, you know, sort of Mach flight, uh, what, what Mach speeds were, were, was that capable of? Well, that was um, the cruising out at cruising speed for that was uh, Mach two. Wow! So, <laughs> okay, that just gives you an idea of uh, of what these guys are talking about here. So, um, yeah, incredible. But uh, these things, um, you know, these sort of programs take years, decades in development uh, before uh, they have a get a you know, proper commercial. Um, and if you think about Concorde, Concorde was built in. Uh, started to be built in 1968-69. It was um, being developed in 1964. It never actually flew until 1976. So, um, wow, that's a long time, isn't it? Yeah. So, be interesting to see what happens with this aircraft. Mm, Good year, 1976, man. Uh, it was. It was a cracking year, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Lots of very yeah. important people were born then. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so there's there's a, there's a there's a little bit more to this story, though, isn't there? Oh. Um, which I think Jeff, you're going to take, aren't you? Uh, looks like I am. Yes. <laughs> and um, because of all the ads and everything else on that uh, link, I'm just going to go ahead and read the uh, text here in the uh, notes. Okay. If that's good. all right. Yes. Yes, I would. Uh, <laughs> let's see. This is from uh, simpleflying.com. On March 30th, the United States Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA, announced a release of proposed standards for noise certifications that apply to new supersonic aircraft. This proposal would set uh, takeoff and landing noise standards for new supersonic aircraft. The notice of proposed rulemaking, the NPRM, is available for public comment for 90 days from the date of publication. So if you want to make a a comment, do it right now. (laughs) Um, link in the show notes, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the FAA, the FAA oh, notes no. <laughs> that this NPRM. <laughs> I guarantee that there'll be a note. I mean, a link in the show notes. Yeah, for they sure. will. Th- thanks for that. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> the, I, I rescind the invite. Uh, <laughs> the FAA notes that this NPRM follows a 2019 proposed rule to update requirements for special flight authorization to fly above Mach one in the United States. These guidelines are important as companies such as Boom work on creating the next generation of supersonic aircraft. You know, I kind of understand the name Boom, like Sonic Boom, but I don't know. When it comes to airplanes, I don't know if I want to ever associate Boom with my name. <laughs> yes, let's associate yeah, an explosion with, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not the way forward, is it? Now, I, mean, I, I, I mean, I've not actually heard uh, a, a, a Sonic Boom but I understand that they're quite. It's quite a noise, isn't it? It's 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 not something you'd sleep through. Not really. Not usually. It, I guess it depends on how close you are to it, but it definitely rattles the windows and uh, gets your attention. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Um, we've got uh, actually a comment comment in the chat room. Nothing to do with uh, what we're talking about here, actually. But uh, as we mentioned it a little while ago, so Alan from Helsen is saying, not sure if we can give a shout out to the RNAS, uh, Coldrose uh, A twenty. 
squadron. These guys and ladies have been retasked to COVID medivac, so hats off to them for doing that, which I think is worth a mention. So, yeah, well done to them. Thanks for bringing that to our attention, Alan. Yeah, you beat me to it, Matt. And I just discovered that Helston and Caldros are on the Lizard Peninsula. Oh. That is not a joke. I guess it's oh. out there by Cornwall, huh? Oh, I see. It yes. is, yes. Yeah. All yeah. oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it's, sorry, I've got too many buttons in here. Ignore me. I'm just having a meltdown. <laughs> so the next story, Armando, is uh, all a bit about illegal stuff. Yeah, this is hot on the heels of uh, an aircraft operator called Paradigm Aviation getting their certificate revoked because they just got caught uh, doing a bunch of illegal things. And it was uh, high visibility because they were doing illegal charter flights for major sports teams. Um, so the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Cleveland Indians, the uh, Oakland Athletics, the Texas Rangers, the uh, New York Rangers, Toronto Maple, ba basically all kinds of different sports teams. And that's been the, the highest visibility illegal charter operation that's been shut down recently. So this is from the Aviation Information Network. The FAA is currently working collaboratively with industry stakeholders uh, to step up its campaign to stamp out illegal air charters. Uh, this is being led by the South Carolina Flight Standards District Office, or the FISDO. Uh, this gentleman gave an overview of ongoing efforts uh, during the Air Charter Safety Foundation's 2020 Air Charter Safety Symposium. Uh, he credited his team. The one thing that he has found alarming, he said, is when he began, when he began looking into the activity, he found that South Carolina illegal activity was fairly rampant. He discovered that some airplanes with anywhere between 400 or 40 to 100 dry leases indicating that something was not right. Uh, so he responded that uh, he discovered that John Deere tractor equipment was going on to some airplanes. He'd heard stories about pilots being pressured to fly aircraft, even though there was equipment failures and, and things written up. Then he added that there was no way to, uh, to really assure for a passenger that an operator is legal or not, and that there was uh, not a good way to see if these operators are um, meeting drug testing requirements, flight duty restrictions, things like that. Um, so he continued on reaching out to the uh, airports and FBO managers throughout the state that uh, basically anyone that would listen to him, his educational campaign uh, disrupting posters on the subject, uh, meetings daily, or meetings have started in South Carolina, but they've begun to spread throughout the country. And uh, sorry, this article is written, uh, it's a little bit convoluted, but uh, basically I, I didn't know that this was such a big deal. And, and I, I, as I started reading about it, it would, be, it would be incredibly easy for a passenger just to Google or go to an airport and say, Hey, I'm looking to buy a ticket or charter an airplane to do this and that, you know, take my, my cargo, take my people from A to B. And there, from a consumer standpoint, there's really no way to verify that that operator is legal or not, or complying with federal aviation regulations. Um, and, and I know that there is a, when you go through commercial pilot training and, and Jeff, you can chime in um, also, but, commercial pilot training, they really harp on what you can and can't do with your certificate. And then your certificate, your personal certificate is very different than the 
operator certificate. So that's great that you have a commercial pilot license, but I can't just take my Cessna and go start giving rides or taking people A to B because that would make me a, a part 135 non-scheduled operation. But there, I mean, it's so rampant after I started reading about it that, uh, yeah, what a, what a, what a problem, I guess, that, that I didn't know existed. Very interesting about that. Yeah, for me, you know, it's Acme Airlines, you know, whatever we are flying out there, whether it be scheduled air service or charter air service, uh, it's all done by various departments at the airline. So I know that when I show up and fly my Acme branded airplane, whatever it is I'm doing is is legit. It's legal. And uh, another thing they mentioned in this article, Armando, is the uh, fact that these pilots aren't subject to the same kind of uh, restrictions or, or uh, checks or cross checks or whatever for drug, alcohol testing, that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, it's definitely a big problem. What kind of airplanes are they using here? Do they, they really didn't mention here in this article. Uh, well, believe it or not, that, that uh, Paradigm Air was on 757s and 767s. Wow. You know, the people that are chartering these things, they probably have no idea that what, what they were getting into was an illegal operation. Yeah. And can you imagine if something went wrong? Now you have the, the entire, you know, Cleveland Indians on an aircraft um, th- with, with the hap that suffers a mishap. And yeah, I mean, getting hit, getting hit in the head with a John Deere tractor would really be a pain. <laughs> what were those chickens doing in the back? <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, nice. <laughs> right. So moving on to a beautiful aircraft for the next story. And um, this one is on the asiatimes.com. Now, we're trying to discuss when we were talking about this yesterday on our meeting what aircraft this, this um, kind of looks like. Matt, I'll put the pictures on the screen while I'm reading the story. I've got a little but, video, um, actually, as well. And a video as well. Mm. But China will soon have a large amphibious aircraft that will be capable of covering all the South China Sea, the Global Times reported. Uh, the AG-600 is preparing in Hubei province to conduct its first maritime t- uh, test flight this year, as planned, despite the novel coronavirus epidemic. The AG-600 is undergoing status adjustment and design optimization in Jingmen, Hubei, as all members of its development team at state-owned Aviation Industry Corp of uh, China have returned to work after the epidemic in the province began as it's began to ease over there. Uh, the aircraft is ready to start test flights, subject to training, Liu Yang, deputy head of the Zhuhe Air Base Test Flight Center under AVIC's subsidiary uh, China Aviation Industry General Aircraft, told CCTV. It's scheduled to make its maiden flight this year, uh, they reported, and also the sea-based test flights are more challenging than those conducted over land, lakes or rivers because of the factors like the complexity of the sea situation and the corrosive ocean environment, the military experts told. So the AG-600 uh, conducted its land-based maiden flight in Zhuhai, South China, uh, Gangjiang province, in December 2017, so it's a few years old and its first water-based uh, test flight over a reservoir 
in Jingmen in October in 2018, reports said. A sea-based test flight will be another milestone in the aircraft's development, and the COVID-19 outbreak does not seem to have had any major impact on the project, the experts have said. The amphibious aircraft is expected to be delivered by 2022, uh, the agency said. Uh, the size of the aircraft is roughly around about the same size as a 737, uh, and it also can fight forest fires, undertake water rescues, monitor the maritime environment, and carry out patrol missions. Uh, when deployed from Sanya Hangyun province, the AG-600 can reach any location in the South China Sea thanks to its endurance of 12 hours and the ability to take off and land on water, the uh, story has said. Now, going back to the picture of uh, the aircraft, th this to me, I, I think well, I said this yesterday, this is kind of like someone's got an ATR-42 or ATR-72, stuck the hull of a boat underneath it, um, Put a uh, upstairs extension on, and added a, added a couple of engines, um, right. extra engines. Uh, I, no That's actually actually what they did. Oh, okay. <laughs> keep, keep that one quiet. Yeah, I, I, actually, Auntie Liz is saying in the chat room here, uh, it, it's plainly and simply, that's one ugly aircraft. Uh, it's uh, she doesn't mince her words really. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, but she does she does quantify that by saying it does actually look better in the water, uh, and I think it does look mm. a lot more graceful in the water, isn't it? I, I don't know. I, I, it's difficult to make these amphibious aircraft look. Um, look decent though isn't it really because i mean the whole thing is just alien isn't it the the idea of sort of flying and landing on water and stuff like that it, it's uh, it's a, a great idea and i know people need to do it but uh, you're never going to make them look beautiful are you really i mean like the catalina uh, the the Catalina uh, thinks it's oh the PBY uh, yeah mm. that, that I know Micah absolutely loves that it says it's really Micah's favourite re yeah. yeah yeah absolutely absolutely loves it but uh, it's it's sort of uh, it's not a fantastic beast is it uh, although I think uh, somewhere in the chat room here I did actually see uh, there was there was some love for it um, I I can't find it right now but I, you know I don't know if I'd say it's ugly but it's <laughs> I mean it's not beautiful that's for sure but. I don't know. There's something about it that just looks cool, I think. I'd love to fly that. According to Jonathan Warner in the chat room, he uh, he reckons that the, the, the flight deck looks similar to a Russian BE-12. <laughs> well, yes. If I knew what one of those looked like, I'd be um, really excited. Well, if, if yeah. it's Russian, <laughs> if it's a flight deck and it's on a Russian aircraft, it's probably green because all the flight decks on all Russian military aircraft especially seem to be... Uh, painted in a green color um and they just take all the instruments and bits and bobs and put, yeah. uh, put one right here and one over here and one up there <laughs> little fan going on over here it's like pretty crazy actually yeah uh micah reckons actually it's basically just a c-130 that floats um that's that's not not so silly <laughs> so, uh auntie liz is being very unkind she's saying it's jess retirement ride i think that's a bit mean uh, <laughs> No, it's just when she saw the ugly airplane, she, it reminded me of my oh. ugly mug. <laughs> I don't believe that for a nano, nanosecond <laughs> at all. Neil Lamorne's actually saying that it's not beautiful, more graceful in the water. Uh, have they stolen my holiday snaps? Is that what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Tony S makes a good point, though, that it's ideal for Dr. Steph's Lake. Right, okay, you sort of pull up to the jetty, you mean. Yeah. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's an option. Yeah, <laughs> actually, Armando, are you are you uh, seaplane rated at all? No, I've no? only flown a seaplane twice, and that was just sort of tourist flights. 
I mean, I, I, lo- I love the fact that he has. Like, have you flown it or just as a passenger, do you mean? Uh, I had just gotten back from a military deployment out to the Middle East, and I took this motorcycle ride up through upstate New York, and I saw there was a seaplane base up in the Adirondacks near Old Forge, if anybody knows, and I saw this beautiful Cessna 206 that was sitting on floats, and I literally just walked up to the door, knocked on the door, and said, hey, I've never flown in a seaplane. Can I go for a ride? He said, I'm not doing anything. And we went up and we hopped around a couple of the lakes up there in upstate New York. Wow. Well, only in the world of Armando could that even be vaguely possible. <laughs> Seriously, man. Actually, Jeff, Jeff isn't, isn't Dr. Steph, um, she's, she's right in seaplane. She, she is, yes. Yeah. She's the uh, only one on the APG crew that is seaplane rated. <laughs> right, okay. Hmm. Is that a common thing? Uh... <laughs> Uh, apparently not common on our crew. No, no, okay. Yeah, yeah, certainly not common here. It's, uh, I would love to uh, get a seaplane rating, though. And uh, It must actually, be a different skill, yeah. though, for landing and stuff. Yeah, because one is uh, like hard surface and one's water. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure that's, that's the way. That's the big one, difference. One, one's got yeah. waves and the other one's got, got uh, uh, tarmac, unless you're in the UK, where one's got waves and the other one's got potholes. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah I feel like you've already completed the first lesson, Jeff. I mean, the difference between land <laughs> yeah, and water. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's oh, already right, on okay. it. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's $70 for that lesson. <laughs> see, you oh. ne- see, see you next week. Yeah. Oh, dear. Right, okay. We so should probably story. move on. Yeah, this next one, uh, I think Jeff is actually going to take this next one. Oh, goody, uh, goody, I get to read Airline safety reports. Okay. The International Air Transport Association, IATA, oh, I'm supposed to say where this is from, Uh, the AME Info, whatever AME stands for. Anybody have any idea? None whatsoever. Okay. But if we just say uh, ameinfo.com, that's how you get it. Ameinfo.com. If you want to know what that is, look it up. I'll put it in the show notes, shall I, Jeff? Yeah, please do. <laughs> uh, the International Air Transport Association, IATA, announced the release of the 2019 safety report showing continuing improvements in airline safety compared to 2018 and to the preceding five years. Every fatality is a tragedy, and it is vital that we learn the correct lessons to make aviation even safer. Accidents involving turboprop aircraft represented 41.5% of all accidents in 2019 and 50% of the fatal accidents. Uh, Fatality risk of 0.09 means that a a person would have to travel every day for 535 years before a fatal accident happens. Oh, good, because I'm nowhere near 535 years old, so I'm good. (laughs) <laughs> we'll, we'll, just ask, we'll ask Liz that question in a moment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. All major 2019 safety performance indicators improved compared to 2018 and to the average of the 2014 through 2018 period as shown below. And then there's a chart here. I'm not going to read all the data in the chart because people would definitely fall asleep. <laughs> Uh, let's see the I safety mean, and well-being of. Uh, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I was going to say that essentially what, what we're learning here is that, that surprise, surprise, that uh, aviation is clearly the safest way to travel. Oh yeah, for sure, <laughs> absolutely. Unless it's a turboprop. Oh, right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Armando. <laughs> oh, uh, no, it's okay. They're safe. <laughs> yeah, I know they're safe. That, um, you know, I, they they mentioned that in the bullet points here in this article. Uh, at what what percentage of 
the uh, fleet uh, worldwide is our, our turboprops. Is, is that the point they're trying to make, that maybe it's a, a like a minority of the airplanes flying out there, but they um, they take up 41.5% of all the accidents? I don't know. What is the point? <laughs> That's a, a great question. I don't know. Okay. The, well, anyway. The, nobody we has the answer to, by the side. Move on to a different article then. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, Wow. Okay. Yeah. As I say, it's in, uh, that's a, that's a, a fr from as a nervous flyer's point of view. This is an interesting statistic, as you were saying that it's uh, you know 2019 fertility risk of 0.09. I like that. You have to travel by air every single day for 535 years. Wow. Yeah. That's that's a great number, isn't it? <laughs> that's that's more st uh, flying than Doctor Steph does. Right. Yeah. Only just. Only though. just. Only, only just. just. Yeah. <laughs> Barely. Barely. Borderline. Borderline. Close. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, she must be the one suffering the most during this lockdown, surely. I mean, it's like, it's probably the most time she spent at home in quite a number of years, I think. <laughs> yeah, I have to say she is suffering. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, judging by all the pictures of her on the lake and her. Yeah. Oh, it's like she's okay. suffering, yeah. All right. Yes. Okay. You get my point. <laughs> So, you know, on a serious note on this story, like I, I really don't know the answer to your question, Jeff, because I, I, I don't know the numbers of turboprops compared to jets. You know, a couple of years ago, well, maybe, maybe not a couple of years, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I would have said, sure, around the world, there are probably more turboprops doing commercial operations than there are jets. But nowadays, you know, you, you have fairly... Uh, I don't know, what, what would you call them? Just uh, small operators, remote operators, austere operators in these, uh, you know, up and coming emerging countries and emerging economies that are operating, uh, you know, 737s and Airbuses, Air, Airbus 319s. And I think that's taken a lot of, of the market from, you know, the ATRs and the Dash 8s that used to be pretty common. I don't know. It's probably just a matter of efficiency. You know, I just I'm just throwing this out there. It, uh, I might be completely off base on this, but I would imagine that the aircrew experience on the turboprops in general is probably a much lower level than the experience level on all the turbojets out there in the world. That might be part of the because I don't think inherently turboprops, mechanically speaking, are any less safe than a jet, right? I don't I don't think they're very much different at all. I I think no. you know. It, it's still a turbine. A turbine's a turbine, um, and I, th I think Pratt and Whitney makes the lion's share of the turbines out there on on turboprops. So, I, I don't. I think you you may be right, and maybe aircrew experience or or maybe age of fleet type things. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, or smaller airports. Actually, maybe it's more challenging airports actually because mm -hmm. if you're if you're talking about yeah. turboprops, they're going to be going into smaller. Um, runways and more uh, remote locations maybe uh, that has to do with it. Uh, whilst we're terribly concerned about uh, dr steph's carbon footprint uh, interestingly enough myla is saying she's doing her bit to uh, to combat that where possible saying that she's doing effort she just passed her 500 hours last week which is quite wow. an achievement. so well done well done to myla for that nice. one i think yeah absolutely I say she she's nice. taken the mantle over in the meantime while while everyone else is grounded obviously because she's on she's one of those cargo ladies yeah well done. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, um, Jeff, you love to yeah. talk on your show about uh, going green. 
and yeah. being environmentally friendly. This next story uh, for Nev is um, well, it's, it's kind of along those lines. Which which I love in a time where fu- you know fuel is the cheapest it's been in so long. Mm. Uh, <laughs> the, the question of electricity raises its head again. <laughs> yeah, I know it's amazing that the, the cost of filling your car up has never been cheaper in recent times, at least. And we can't go out and use it. No, absolutely. Yeah, as I say, like literally, Nev's car is doing three three weeks to the gallon at the moment. It's brilliant. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, this is on the businessinsider.com, and it says that uh, NASA has created the X-57 Maxwell, a fully electric experimental aircraft with 14 motors all on its wing. The Maxwell falls under the NASA's X-plane experimental planes category and is the first piloted X-plane in 20 years. NASA's principal investigator, uh, Sean Clark, told Business Insider that this two-decade gap is because several X-plane aircraft that NASA has developed over the last 10 to 20 years have been autonomous. Uh, the, the decision to put a pilot in the Maxwell came because NASA's test pilots are high performance and uh, so much uh, and benefit so much from having them in the seat, Clark says. Uh, having pilots on the aircraft simplifies its design because the pilot can spot and diagnose issues whilst operating the aircraft. However, NASA didn't build the X-57 body in an Italian Technam P. 2006T served as the starting point for the Maxwell. NASA is now testing an outfit fitting through multiple uh, modification series, the P2006T with new batteries, instruments, smaller wings and electric motors instead of the traditional double piston engines. Uh, The inspiration for the X57 Maxwell nickname came from a 19th century physicist who specialised in electromagnetism, James Clark Maxwell. And we've got some pics of this, Matt. Looks um, quite an extraordinary aircraft, isn't that really? It Um, is. I mean, it's... uh, The the bit that I'm finding so interesting, actually, is where it's, uh, you know, you've got what I call like two larger engines and then lots of little ones. That's that's the the bit that I find odd as a a concept, I guess. Mm. Jeff, Jeff, do you remember the old... uh b52 joke so like with this airplane be like ah it's the old dreaded 13 engine approach when you lose one yes <laughs> <That'd be tough. laughs> as you do <laughs> yeah, with with the b52 they always used to make fun of those guys with their eight <laughs> engines and be like ah it's the dreaded seven engine seven approach, engine approach. <laughs> <laughs> that's a tough one yeah yeah but look how long the aircraft's flying it's still well, still flying now and will be flying for another 50 years at uh, least, outlive us all i reckon yeah, oh yeah. Actually, you talk about X plane. Well, we've got Jeff on the show. I actually, I actually had another little little play on X plane eleven this afternoon, and one of the aircraft on on the simulator is is the MD eighty, and um, I had a go today, but um, yeah, I won't be having a go again. Did, did, not, not <laughs> Carlos, did you did you feel like did you feel like you were in a World War Two submarine flipping gauges and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> X-Plane does a really good job, I will say, of recreating the, the, the MD-80 flight deck and stuff. But, man, Jeff, how do you work all that stuff <laughs> You just don't touch very many things, that's all. <laughs> just look at it. That's, a, that's an approach. <laughs> it's so it's so different to uh to because i'm always i'm always flying the, the 737 800 on x-plane 11 you think you get used to that kind of flight deck and all that all the stuff but yeah i'm, I'm gonna have another go i'm gonna 
I'm not going to have another well, go. So, I mean, the what are you talking about? The instrument display? I mean, the, yeah, it's it's just there's a there's a lot. Okay, to, so it's it's just a classic six six pack yeah, um, yeah. arrangement yeah. that most of us not anymore really, uh, but most of us here at least uh, grew up with that kind of uh, instrument arrangement. And all the information that you have in the all one display is still all there. It's just spread out a little bit more. It's not really a big deal, I don't think. I think what I think my my task I think for for next week's show is I'm gonna. I'm going to attempt to do an Start approach. In, I'm going to do an approach into Atlanta with the uh, MDA. All right. Well, let me know, and I'll uh, make sure that I'm not there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, Maybe you could do what Captain Allen was doing with him last week and suggest oh, no. um, some weather uh, no. data for him to put into it. You know that that would oh. really show off the MDA's ability to, you know, not crash or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If well, I've done pretty well with it. In my time, <laughs> I've not crashed it yet. Well done. You, you missed that last week, Jeff. I, 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 we had a video, you, you might have seen it, it was on the show last week, and, and uh, Captain Al gave me some um, some metals to put into the system for weather and stuff for the approach into an airfield that he flies into in Europe. And, mm -hmm. I mean, I landed. Yeah. It just didn't end very well for the passengers think, in the rear of the aircraft. I think that, for the most part, you did a great job. <laughs> well, quite. Uh, Armando, <laughs> dig us out of this hole, will you please? Armando, the next story. <laughs> moving, uh, moving on to you, and this this is a story that uh, Armando should be very settled with reading. Yeah, I feel like Matt always gets the Ryanair stories, and I always get these weird vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. Okay, no, uh, yeah, vertical takeoff and landing aircraft have proven to be the future of urban air mobility with companies like Uber and Blade offering intra-city helicopter flights that minimize commute times and maximize convenience. So while helicopters are the primary form of transport for urban air mobility, one company is on the verge of receiving certification for a never-before-seen type of civilian aircraft that uh, just now only has the capability of upending that mode of transportation altogether. Italian aerospace and defense manufacturer Leonardo, whose products include the iconic Augusta Westland helicopters, is nearing the end of the certification process for its AW609 tilt rotor aircraft. The first commercial aircraft of its kind, the AW609, takes technology currently found on military aircraft with no widespread civilian use. Uh, the AW609 merges the best features of a helicopter and an airplane, the vertical takeoff and land cap landing capabilities enable the aircraft to land at air airports and heliports close to downtown areas such as New York City and Washington, D.C., or on top of buildings when allowed. Uh, once airborne, the AW609 can transform into a standard airplane by adjusting the direction of its rotors and traveling at greater speeds, higher altitudes than helicopters, offering the best type, the best of each type of aircraft in terms of range, Versatility and capacity gives the AW609 an advantage unmatched by even the swiftest helicopter or nimblest airplane. I feel like that was an ad for Leonardo. <laughs> Sounds like it. Now, now, yeah. <laughs> now, you've presumably, I mean, this is probably not massively dissimilar to an aircraft that you're quite familiar with. No, it seems to be the same technology. Now, we've been talking about the V280, the... Uh, Oh, geez, whatever the other one is that I can never remember the name of it, the SB something. And uh, this seems to be right along those lines. There's always been talk about a civilian version of the CV-22. And 
I always mention that if you go back in time to the 50s and 60s, I believe Dornier had a couple of vertical takeoff and landing commercial aircraft uh, that they were trying out. They just never sold. So the um, Leonardo one looks to be a little bit more uh, tailored for that civilian market. It doesn't have the big old cargo door. It looks to be pressurized, which the Osprey is not. Um, it's probably quieter. It's got a smaller cabin, probably more maneuverable. But um, yeah, so I mean, I, I do think there is a market for this in the future. But uh, we just have to make sure that the safety, or, uh, the safety record is going to be there to support, you know, civilian operations. Now we put the president on, on an airplane like this, so that the, the Marines operate V-22s in their mm. VIP fleet now. So, I mean, if they're, if they're good enough for the president of the United States, and they're probably safe enough for the American public, I would venture to say. You know this this AW six oh nine that first flew in um, March two thousand and three. Yeah, this these this technology. So there you go the, on the on the YouTube feed. There's the original Dornier. That one is sitting in front of their museum in uh, Friedrichshafen, and it's actually a beautiful airplane. If you ever get a chance to go down there, it's a completely uh, polished aluminum. But um, yeah, the technology has been around. I mean, the, the V-22 has been around since the 80s. It's just we've, we've continued to refine the automatic flight control system and the software behind the aircraft. Um, so Currently in the chat room, Jonathan Warner says that he saw a 609 at an air show in the UK a few years back, and that one crashed not so long after he saw it. Oh. <laughs> Well, I will always say, <laughs> never fly the A model of anything. Right, okay. It sounds like good advice for for anyone. It's just like, uh, oh, it's, uh, sorry, I'm getting lost in the chat room. Didn't, uh, where are we? Uh, Richard Adams was saying here that, uh, didn't you say that the Osprey was very high maintenance? Presumably the AW Civi one would need to be far cheaper on that front if people were to sort of use it in a civilian capacity. Absolutely. Absolutely. There, there's no way that the current V-22 uh, airframe would make any money for anybody uh, out in, in the uh, civilian population. There's no, there's no company that would go after an airplane like that um, just because of the maintenance needs. I mean, what do we think? I mean, what, what, what are they, perhaps I missed the, the point here, but what are they hoping that, that a civilian version will be able to give? What, uh, use would it have if you like? Uh, well, it's it's good because it, you won't have the runway constraints. You won't right. have to have massive runways for these to you know to take to off. Take off yeah. It's speed and altitude is what it's going to get mm. you. So yeah. you can operate out of a heliport like like they were talking about in New York City. There are there are a few heliports, um, but instead of having to take a helicopter from New York City's heliport to Newark Airport or to Teterboro and then jump on a you know, a King Air or a yeah. Citation or something like that. This airplane will go 250 miles per hour. It'll be up in the flight levels. It'll be pressurized. And then you're going to be able to land at the Chicago uh, heliport downtown. Right. Okay. So it, getting you a bit closer to where you want to be, essentially, then. Yeah, it'll probably reduce a, a couple of the the transfers, if you want to call them that. Yeah. Yeah, no, fair point. 
So that is the end of the commercial news segment for this week. But uh, we have a special segment uh, for you next. Now, Matt, this one is uh, um, a video, isn't it, from um, Bournemouth Airport? Uh, yes, but I'll be honest with you, I don't know a great deal about it. Uh, Nev, I think, does, though. Nev, um, fill us in. Luckily, I'm on the show, isn't it? So yeah, it is, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, this was some drone footage uh, oh. shot by David Duval uh, of Bournemouth Airport. I think it was probably a week ago, maybe a bit more than that. Uh, and he's very kindly allowed us to use it on the show. I mean, Bournemouth Airport is on the south coast of England and traditionally not a very busy uh, commercial airport at all. Um, maybe a couple of EasyJets, a couple of Ryanairs a day, that, that kind of thing. Um, bit of GA flying. Um, but, of course, British Airways have used it as a uh, plane park uh, for all their aircraft because there is not sufficient capacity at Heathrow or other airports. They, they've put their aircraft all around the country, uh, Cardiff at the maintenance base, um, Glasgow uh, and Bournemouth. Bournemouth, I think, has about 45 aircraft parked up there at the moment. And they're not all, you know, A320s. There's some heavy metal there, as you'll see. So do take yourself to YouTube actually to take a look at this. This video is, well, it's quite chilling, isn't it, really? I mean, we know how bad things are, obviously, in regards to flights being grounded and, and airports being very empty and things like this. But to see footage like this where it is so, um, to see the the aircraft just literally with their covers over the engines and stuff, I mean, it it's quite chilling, isn't it? I mean, it's not, remember, remember, Bournemouth is not, you know, it's not a, a huge, massive airport. But the, the video shows not just A320s, but, you know, you've got 747-400s here parked up. And there's also the um, the Landor, painted Landor uh, 747-400s oh, yeah. uh, in the video as well, which is one of the, um, the special ones they had painted with the uh, with the livery. But, Part of their 100th anniversary, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but um, it is just, well, it, you know, these are pictures that obviously we've seen right across the globe yeah. of uh, aircraft type. Well, obviously we had a similar one last week, didn't we, which involved, um, you know, MAG Airport Stansted, obviously, with, uh, you know, where they'd, uh, the, the very fact that they were able to have a drone flying around Stansted sort of tells its own story, doesn't it, really? Mm. Are there any airports local to where you are, Jeff, where there's similar scenes? Yeah, one big one. ATL. 
Ah. Lots of uh, airplanes parked over there on the taxiways, and they shut down the southernmost runway. Uh, runway, uh, let's see, what would that be? Uh, 10 and 28 is completely closed because it's all clogged up with parked airplanes. Wow. Is that um, all different airlines all parked up, or is that just one particular airline? Or Mostly the sister airline of Acme, uh, Delta. Mm. Mostly Delta jets out there. And we have a whole bunch in Birmingham and um, Dyersburg, um, Arkansas, and, well, spread all over the place. Wow. We have like 300 and some odd Delta, like 380-something uh, Delta, not we, they, they have, uh, 380 something mainline Delta airplanes parked. Yeah. And also, I was going to say, a mammoth job, you know, when these, you know, when, when things slowly return back to normal, which is obviously going to take a long while, but when they do return back to normal, it's going to be quite a, a mission to get all these aircraft moved, checked. Yeah. And yeah. Logistics nightmare. I mean, uh, it's, I mean, I've seen the, uh, I fly regularly, you know, into Pittsburgh airport and they've closed down runway 10 center there. And there's, I, th I think at last count there was 120 something airplanes sitting at the Pittsburgh airport, all American and Republic airlines, which flies for Delta United and mm -hmm. American. And every day I see mechanics and engineers out there and they're out there either plugging them up or, um, securing, um, securing all the ports, you know, putting tape over the ports and things like that. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're out there. They're, I think they're probably going to do their best to take care of them. So they're ready to go at the, at the end of this, but. So, I mean, yeah. uh, Jeff, I mean, uh, you know, you, you have been in this industry, uh, a very long time, um, probably longer than you care to admit sometimes. Um, I mean, these are very much un unprecedented times, aren't they? I mean, have you, is there anything really that's ever sort of come close to this kind of disruption uh, in, in your, your memory? Well, the only thing that has come even somewhat close was the 9-11 uh, um, issue that we had, you know, in 2001. But, you know, within a few days, I mean, uh, let's see, that happened on a Tuesday, I believe, and everything was back flying again by the end of the week, by Friday. Uh, so... Not everything, you know, not back to the full schedule, but a lot of flying was going back on uh, just a few days later. And no, I've never seen anything like this at all. I mean, I mean, what, as as a as a, a an experienced pilot, I mean, what what goes through your your mind when something like this this happens? I mean, do you do you think, for example, that we'll see the levels that we had of flying before this all happened? Well, I keep hearing things from my company saying that when we emerge from this whole thing, and we will, uh, that it's going to be a smaller airline. They keep using that term, and people are kind of pressing our management about exactly what that means. <laughs> what do you mean by a smaller airline? So mm. I, I don't know. I think that uh, the airline for which I fly for the last 31 years, 31 and a half years, is probably the best leverage to take advantage of the situation, and because we are the strongest going into this crisis, and I'm sure that we're going to be either the strongest or one of the strongest emerging from it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty optimistic that uh, things are going to be fine with the company I fly for. I mean, I guess this, uh, is, a, this is an impossible question in, in lots of ways, but I mean, what, I mean, what sort of changes do you think we'll see 
uh, off the back of this? I mean, do you think there'll be any changes procedure-wise? I mean, will uh, you know different aircraft be chosen perhaps over uh, others in in regards to efficiency and things? Like that? I mean, do do you think there'll be any major changes off the back of this? Well, not really, because uh, they were already going in that direction, and that's why the fleet on which uh, or the fleet that I'm flying. Um, it has been slated for retirement, um, mainly because you know it's just the least fuel efficient, least efficient um, fleet of aircraft flying for Acme Airlines right now. Uh, but uh, so they were already positioning themselves to make sure that the fleet was as fuel efficient and you know effective as far as um, you know battling against all the other uh, major carriers out there. So. Um, all it's going to mean, really, I guess, is that they're going to be accelerating the retirement of the uh, the old T-tails, the, like I fly. Wow. I know you've said on, on your show, Jeff, about obviously the, the, you know, the phasing out the aircraft that you fly, but what um, what what is probably going to be or will be the next aircraft for you as as a pilot to uh, to fly for Acme? Well, some of the um, T-tails that we're flying now are the newest ones, basically the uh, McDonnell Douglas MD-95, which uh, when Boeing uh, bought McDonnell Douglas, they rebranded it the Boeing 717. Uh, that is um, the most fuel efficient um, of all the T-tails that we're flying right now. And they think that they're going to be around for um, a few years longer before they get slated for retirement. And that will probably be the one that I end up going to, which would be a, a slight downgrade uh, because they're smaller airplanes and everything is based, at least at my company and most of the airlines here in the U.S., your pay is based on uh, the size of the airplane. And uh, so size matters. Um, <laughs> but uh, the uh, hourly rate for the, for the captain is and first officer is a little bit less than the, the hourly rate for the uh, airplane I'm on right now. But it's not, not really significant. And you know, honestly, for me, I'm in my, my last years of uh, this career, uh, a little bit more than three and a half years to go before I'm forced to retire in December of 2023. So for me, this is all gravy. Um, I'm just having a good time flying. And it doesn't matter to me what airplane that I'm flying, honestly. Um, and it would be a pretty easy transition from the uh, MD-88, MD-90 series to the uh, Boeing 717. It's just a six or seven day um, school simulators, whatever, and then you're good to go. It's the same type rating I have now. The type rating that I have on my certificate is a, a DC-9, even though I've never actually flown a, <laughs> quote, DC-9. But in, and, and honestly and technically speaking, the 88, the 90, the Boeing 717, they're all DC-9s. There's variants of the original. So, Do you, do you fancy the 75 at all? Well, I thought about perhaps doing that, and but since all this happened, they were talking about rapidly retiring those as well, uh, including the older 767s in our fleet. So I'm thinking, I'm not sure I want to go to a fleet that's undergoing another you know, retirement process. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, sort of doing it all again unnecessarily almost, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Tony right. S in the chat room was saying that the Icelandic, uh, which I forgot about, the Icelandic uh, volcano had a massive impact, obviously. Uh, on the industry, uh, uh, the main man, Micah, uh, he's he's got a question actually. He says, uh, 
do you think uh, that we'll go back to more direct routes uh, with fewer stops uh, off that? And then he quantifies that with an example, see, saying direct meaning you get on a plane, say, at JFK to uh, Lax, uh, stay on the same plane, uh, but more stops with people getting on and off. More like the Southwest model. I, I can't see that in any of the major U.S. legacy carriers here in the U.S. because we're all built on that uh, hub-and-spoke system. I really can't see us getting away from that. Mm. Uh, yeah, and, and I'll jump in on that. The regionals now are also getting much more efficient aircraft. So the you know the Q400, Q400s and the Dash 8s and even the older CRJ200s are kind of going by the wayside. So even out of this challenging time, we may get some regional airlines that actually come out on top with some pretty uh, significant spoke systems, you know, the, the regional routes with um, flying the ERJ 175s, 195s, the A220, you know, there's some some really good regional aircraft coming come up and coming and, and they may be the ones that are in the best position to take over some of those routes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thomas Mandrake in the chat room is actually saying here. So somebody explain to me what CVG stands for. What does that? What? Oh, Cincinnati. Yes, Cincinnati Airport. Yeah. Yeah. It's, okay. Well, no, it, it means Covington, Kentucky. Oh, that's ah, true. <laughs> see, okay. Uh, yeah. Anyway, see, they, they seem to be doing okay uh, since we have large cargo traffic uh, from DHL and, of course, Prime. And, of course, the cargo uh, side of things, of course, in, in some respects, it's gone the other way, hasn't it? Where it's, uh, you know, routes have really romped up because people are staying at home. They need their deliveries. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a funny old time, really. I guess it's... Uh, uh, so I mean, I've noticed, for example, like where I've been, where I've been furloughed, um, and you're sort of worried that because you, you've you've taken a pay cut, if you like. But because I'm not going out, and like as we said earlier, you know, like Nev, like me, is uh, you know getting three weeks to the gallon out of his car. Um, you know, weirdly, it's sort of. Um, yeah, so everybody's at home because people aren't going out to have anything to eat and things like that. So everybody's buying food that they wouldn't normally buy, which I think is why the supermarkets keep running out because we're everybody's buying stuff. So I mean, it's like the cargo. The the guys, you know, things must be mad for them at the moment with with flying flying routes. Obviously not with flour because we've got no flour in the UK. No, no, that does seem to be a bit of a problem. I don't know why. <laughs> we've got toilet roll though. We have got toilet roll. Yes. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, if you guys want to cut, if you guys want to cut the military segment, I'm actually enjoying this con, this conversation because Cincinnati uh, is just something that I didn't really think about until now. As we're talking about airlines and we're talking about aircraft fleets being retired, the airports too. So Cincinnati was already sort of in its on its last legs once Delta pulled out in probably the mid 2010s. I think that lost they lost their their hub status, you know, Pittsburgh, when U.S. Airways slash American Airlines pulled their hub status, you know, those airports cost millions to run per year. And they're now even even less traffic going in and out of there. I, you know, I, I just it's there's so many aspects to this shutdown, this uh, this crisis in the aviation industry that you don't even think about. And, and Jeff, I don't know how you feel when, when I walk through the airports and they're just empty and I think of all of the restaurant workers, the, the cleaning crews, the baggage handlers, the airport maintenance staff, all these people are, are not working right now or they're, they're minimally manned just to keep the lights on. Um, it's just, a, 
I don't even, I don't, I don't remember 9-11 having this much of a wide impact. On no, the because industry. it wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't that long of a, a span of time before everything started going, getting going again. I mean, we, we didn't, we weren't long and off long enough to even think about, you know, laying people off and furloughing and that, that type of thing. I mean, actually, I take that back. There, there was an effect, an economic effect, but it, it was already a situation economically, at least here in the U.S., where things were kind of going downhill anyway, and 9-11 was just the, the straw that broke the camel's back. That just accelerating every, everything um, significantly. Uh, so um, it's hard to, hard to know exactly what 9-11, you know, what the impact was on the airlines as opposed to if that hadn't occurred and, you know, uh, I mean, this would have happened anyway, you know? Yeah. Uh, and obviously this, this, I mean, this impact will be felt for years, won't it? I mean, there's, there's no choice oh, yeah. about that. Mm. Uh, so interestingly, Chris Griggs uh, in the chat room was saying that my first ever flight was to uh, CVG. Uh, so lucky him. Uh, a question from Micah, actually, Jeff, uh, why, um, why the 717 uh, versus other equipment? Why, why, why did you choose, do you choose that? Uh, the, for me, it would be the easiest path. Uh, the, I, I hate going to school, to the schoolhouse to learn new stuff. And uh, I'm not a young puppy. I'm an old dog. <laughs> and you know what they say about learning new tricks and such. Um, I already pretty much know the 717 because that's basically the airplane I fly. It's just a little bit different uh, instrument uh, instrumentation layout, different engines, that kind of thing. But it's pretty much 90% or more of what I'm already doing. I already know. Um, so it's basically the path of least resistance is the reason the 717 and I'm not, you know, I'm not up for a challenge anymore. I just want to kind of enjoy my time, you know, in the last three and a half years I have here, I just want to have fun and I don't want to spend, you know, months in the schoolhouse getting a new type rating and going through all that pressure and stress. Nah, somebody else can do that. <laughs> well, Jeff, since since all of your aviation wisdom is actually contained and held within your mustache, what are you going to do <laughs> when you retire? Are you going to pass that mustache on to to someone else? I, I mean, well, geez. I don't know. It's kind of becoming a kind of a brand for the airline pilot guy, right? So <laughs> I don't, and because when I retire from flying for the airlines, I don't intend to retire from doing podcasting. Yeah, mm. Thank goodness for that. I'm delighted to hear that. Oh, I was getting all yeah, a bit. Well, I, mean, I, was, I, don't, I was getting all a bit sad then. <laughs> yeah. So I have to uh, now that I have uh, the avatar, you know, the airline pilot guy show avatar with this big mustache. I have to keep it. There's <laughs> well, much like choice. much like Plain Tales. There may be just a spinoff podcast with just the mustache, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The tales of Jeff's mustache. Well, Jeff's quite. mustache. Absolutely. Uh, Actually, you... Nev, I was, was going to say, Nev, yeah. what? How do you think BA will will come through all this? You know, and you know, obviously, being our national airline and having um, the fleet they have, how do you think they'll emerge from this? Well, um, of course, BA um, during the week rely heavily on business traffic. Um, not everybody flies in the expensive seats, um, but of course, on the transatlantic routes um, across the pond, for example, and in the other direction to Asia Pacific, um, they make very little money on economy seats. They have to sell premium seats. Well, and even premium economy probably doesn't make them a lot of money. Uh, so they've got to uh, operate in the business and first class environment. 
I was on a podcast or a bit of a chat actually last night with some of my um, audiovisual chums because we're a bit concerned because on the one hand, a lot of us sell uh, higher quality video conferencing equipment so that people don't have to travel as much, but all of us like traveling as well. Um, a lot of us are aviation fans too. Yeah. Um, in BA's case, um, they've got a a bit of an aging fleet now, certainly the 319s and the early 320s. Um, so there's still going to be a lot of demand for that, you know, Heathrow to Glasgow, Heathrow to Edinburgh service. What I think is less certain, and I have no information, you know, coming my way to confirm this at all, is that those, you know, those Heathrow to Manchester routes, those those uh, sectors which are probably 35, 40 minutes in duration. Um, now, if we had a slightly more... Um, economic train system um that was you know didn't cost a fortune that that might be a better thing um but they have to get whatever happens um they have to get those uh, those transatlantic uh flights back with the business class and first class um passengers because those are the people that are paying for it now obviously a lot of intra-european flights as, as well uh, that that's still going to be very much the case and i think when we get to the end of this frankly speaking we'll all be a bit fed up so i you know my first job is to try and get on a plane somewhere <laughs> even if it's just to go somewhere Cause, um, yeah because you booked you booked your flights didn't you for um to take uh uh, Mrs. Nev to Malta at the end of the yes, year. Yes, I did. Well, in fact, I wasn't going to take Mrs. Nev to Malta because, you know, having Mrs. Nev at an air show... Right. Frankly, I mean, she, but she has company now. Indeed. Um, so uh, <laughs> she actually, when I told her I was... Well, I hope we're still going to Malta in uh, in September Fingers of the air crossed, show. Yeah. Um, uh, she's, she's sort of... Oh, well, that'll be the only chance we we have to get away. So I actually booked her a ticket. As well, so she's coming, and uh, Gemma is coming as well. So whilst Carlos and I are doing some serious work around, work around the uh, Luca Airport, they'll be on, in a chalet somewhere, uh, drinking gin and tonic and, and white wine. I would imagine. See, the, uh, the only thing that worries me here now is is the abuse that both you and Carlos's credit cards are going to get as a result of, uh, <laughs> well, of well, that. That's <laughs> given. Uh, <laughs> Actually, what, what, how how did you find the the prices, Nev? Just out of interest for the. Um... For the flights, well, I booked them a while ago, so it wasn't too bad. But <clears throat> excuse me, what we were going to do was we we thought about going to one of the Canary Islands, maybe Fuerteventura, later in the year um, because it's still warm there um, in October, November. The prices of the flights today for a November trip are horrific, and we looked at the same for the Algarve in Portugal as well, uh, just for some comparison purposes. It is horrific, so. What we've got to remember is uh, we're not going to. I don't think we're going to be seeing any inexpensive tickets uh, when all this comes back because mm. the airlines have got revenue to make. So we've actually decided to uh, take a driving holiday in Scotland uh, for a week uh, instead um, because it's uh, the cheaper option. And I'll, I'm being furloughed myself as well in a few weeks' time, so you know there'll be less money coming in uh, as well. So I've got to think about that too. Do you actually, think I will say just quickly, Matt. I, I have. Uh, nothing but the ma most respect for BA because they they cancelled, as some of you might know, they cancelled um, our flights to Charlotte for uh, the end of May. And BA sent me an email saying they cancelled the flights. Uh, they'd rebooked us on another flight for a month later, which 
um, didn't really fit with, well, it doesn't fit with anything that's going on at the moment. Um, so I contacted BA's um, help centre or help desk. And I have to say, Nev, they were really quick on answering the phone and the customer service representative I spoke to um, was really good, very, very kind, very courteous, and just said, that's fine, we'll refund the entire flight costs, including all the taxes and everything else, and uh, they'll be refunded straight back to your to your payment card. Uh, the only thing they said was it may take up to 30 days for th- for the money to go back, which is absolutely mm. fine. Uh, um, but no, I, ha- you know, hats off to BA because um, you know, they um, were, were very, very amicable. In that yeah, that's good to hear. And obviously, they're, they're absolutely full on with, you know, incoming inquiries of all sorts. So that's, mm. that's, uh, that's good to hear. But I will miss my trip to come out and see you, Armando, um, this year, I will say. Definitely miss that. D- I will miss you. We were ready for it. D- mm. uh, do, do you think, all jokes aside, though, I mean, because I, I know... Uh, in some respects, because one of the biggest problems I think all the airlines are going to have off the back of this is is that word that is quite often banded around, and that is cash flow. I mean, it's it's one of those. I mean, presumably, it's not very helpful if you like. In in I mean, I get why customers are obviously having their refunds because, it, like in Carlos's case, it, it's not going to be convenient for him to perhaps take the rescheduled dates or to find a, a another uh, window if you like to go. But I mean, that must be a, a serious concern if you like if. If all these airlines are literally having to give all their money back, if you like, so it's it's not so bad that the, you know, it's bad enough that all these these planes are on the ground and they're not going anywhere and all those costs there, but they're also having to give everybody their money back. I mean, it's uh, I know some airlines were actually sort of uh, offering incentives, weren't they, to give you a, a larger discount on uh, giving discounts on, on chats. Um, uh, Sorry, discounts on flight. Sorry, uh, if you took a voucher rather than having cash. Mm. I, I was actually quite surprised that BA. Um, not only did they offer us a voucher, but they they had rebooked us on a flight a month after the date that we were initially supposed to go, um, because I suppose they assume that everything will be okay in and around the kind of sort of tenth of June, sort of middle of mid June time. But yeah, I was quite surprised that they, they had done that rather than just go straight or forward with a refund but yeah and neil uh, braden saying in the chat room actually uh that uh, Aer Lingus had a great response added 10 percent on top of full credits so got an extra 200 euros on family flights for for the u.s later in later in life that's that's oh, really yeah. quite cool isn't it but mm. i don't know whether that so is that a refund or is it just a full credit because that that's the thing isn't it because at least in that scenario the airline is retaining the cash if you like they're just sort of postponing it for for use later on i mean um i guess uh i mean is that something that you you'd use nev for example as a way of you know or is it just you want the cash yeah, back I mean, in your wallet if it's if it's for business flights yes I'm a, i could probably make that work but for sort of domestic you know holiday type flights um yeah that's that's more difficult to do because you've got hotels going on and the other thing during during this um a uh, bit of investigation I was doing for looking at hotel prices as well later in the year. Um, again, these are seriously high. And again, th- those guys are going to be in the same position, aren't they? So um, just think about, it's not just the, the airlines, but it's all the hospitality and accommodation folks as well. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, similar issues, I guess, in the, the States, Jeff, with uh, airlines like Acme and that. I mean, uh, that must be the biggest issue for 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 the airlines. It is the the cash flow element to all this. Yes. 
Preservation of cash. That's what it's all about. That's the number one game. So that's why they keep, you know, stressing, you know, if you can afford to, you know, take a permanent or not a permanent, a um, temporary leave of absence or, uh, leave, yeah, PLOA, yeah, um, please do. Uh, we'll still give you, you know, some medical benefits and perhaps some flying benefits, although I'm not sure who would want to fly at this time. <laughs> Uh, or if you could even find a flight to where you want to go. But um, I think right now at um, ACME, 35,000 are out on voluntary leaves of absence, uh, whether they be a 30-day, 60-day, 90-day, or even in some cases a full year. And wow. uh, so oh, and, uh, another thing I wanted to mention, um, I believe um, Nev mentioned uh, being on furlough. Yes. There was a good discussion on social media the other day regarding that term, which is, has a different meaning in the U.S. Um, when, when, we are for, when we have pilots on furlough here, uh, they're not getting paid a cent. Oh, really? And they're not getting any benefits. And the only thing, uh, when you're furloughed at an airline, if you're a pilot, is that you retain your seniority accrual uh, while you're furloughed, but you don't get paid anything. So it's a completely different kind of a system over here, or the term has a different meaning. Mm, interesting. Are you, are you still doing loads of flying with your airline, Armando, over um, over your side? Yeah, we're still on a full schedule, believe it or not. But we're wow. we're a little bit different because our the the majority of our network, which is nationwide, is funded through the Essential Air Service Program, which is a government subsidy for underserved communities, uh, and those. Subsidies are usually they span fiscal years, so it'll be a three-year, a three fiscal year government subsidy, and it's not just the federal government; it may be the local government, a state or a city, combined with the Department of Transportation, and and together they fund a certain amount for that three-year period or two-year period, depending on on what it is. So we continue to fly a full schedule. One, because that's what the contract says. And two, the, the money has already been allocated at the beginning of the fiscal year. So, so that's that. However, you know, we in our company are having the conversation of, well, how do you take that and how do you balance it with the, with the safety of the workers? Not to mention our part for the environment, right? So we're burning a lot of gas still to fly a lot of empty airplanes. And it has just been the, the craziest thing because the majority of our passengers are other airline employees. There are pilots and flight attendants mm. that have lost their way to commute from hub to hub, and they've discovered us flying a full schedule. So the majority of my passengers nowadays are actually other airline uh, employees. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Laura, actually, interesting point. She she was sort of saying, or comments she was making in the chat room, she said, I have thought about booking flights now for trips later because uh, they are so cheap and the chain's cancellation policies are so flexible. And she was actually asking uh, Jeff the question, uh, are furloughed pilots able to claim unemployment uh, in the States? Yes, I answered that in the chat room, so you'll receive my response right there. No, I'm right. just kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I, as far as I know, yes. Um, I think that if you're on furlough as a um, pilot or perhaps any kind of employee here, uh, I believe that you are, um, it's okay for you to uh, file for 
benefits, unemployment benefits. See, and, that, and that, the, the the reason why sort of there was a point to me to mentioning it really because the term furlough here in the UK actually means the opposite of that because you are essentially mm-hmm. being retained in in mine and Carlos's case we're being uh, retained by our employee uh, employer on eighty right. percent of what we would have been getting if you like on our normal hourly rate. Um, uh, and that essentially is literally to ensure that we aren't all suddenly massively unemployed uh, right. and therefore claiming from the government. So as I say, so the, the term furlough is very different in the States as to, to, to what it is, is meant here. Yeah, Matt, I have a question for you then. Uh, would that mean that if you were on unemployment there and not on furlough, uh, would you be making more money on unemployment or uh, on your 80% furlough uh, status? Certainly, in my case, uh, unemployment benefits. I, I think it would depend. It depends on your personal circumstances. Is the long and the short of it? Uh, there was a time, perhaps here in the in the UK, where uh, your employment. Uh, if it, sometimes it was more beneficial if you would like to sort of play the system and not work. Uh, that's mm. pretty much not the case uh, now, and it is uh, certainly more financially uh, beneficial to be in work rather than out of it. And therefore, in this scenario, uh, to be furloughed is better than being on uh, benefits here in the UK, certainly. So uh, there is more help available to you if you are employed uh, than you are either self-employed. And actually, the, the biggest issue here is is that self-employed people at the moment are perhaps likely to suffer more than mm-hmm. um, than than people like me and Carlos who are, are lucky enough to be uh, working for good companies who know what mm-hmm. they're doing. Uh, and we're, uh, you know, we're, we're both very lucky in that, aren't we, Carlos, really? And, oh, and yeah. Nev as well, obviously, you're the same. I mean, you're working, uh, your company is predominantly states-based, isn't it? But they, you know, they're, they're sort of, you know, they, they've got everything in place to help, help you as best they can as well. Yeah, and we, we've got operations all around the world. And, of course, each, um, uh, I don't talk too much about it, but in general terms, each operation yeah. uh, is working within the local uh, government uh, regulations and rules with regard to this. So everybody is different. Um, and actually, I was finding out that my colleagues in the States, in the US, uh, actually the, the rules are vary from state to state as well, not, not just... Uh, across the country so there's you know a whole set of uh, probably not 50 different rules but you know a, a lot of different rules in the US very compli- very complicated for your company and as you say given the fact that they they're operating in so many different countries with each country and each EU i mean it's not just a case of all EU countries are running by the same rules are they each individual country has their own their own sort of structure in place it's uh Here's a, to compli- to muddy the waters even more. Oh, good. <laughs> for in aviation, I am I am Pittsburgh based. Therefore, if I were to be furloughed, even though I have nothing to do with Pennsylvania, I would have to file Pennsylvania unemployment. Um, so, for many of us that commute and are not do not live in base, um, I pay a certain amount of my taxes to the state of Pennsylvania, even though I'm just based there and I transit there. So I would be subject to the Pennsylvania unemployment laws, which may be very different than the Georgia unemployment laws and benefits, even though I live in neither one of those places. <laughs> <laughs> well, quite. This is this issue. Now, uh, ironically, of course, we, we've basically uh, had a very, well, I, you know, it's been a great discussion, guys. The long and the short is, I'm really sorry, guys, but we've run out of time for military. Uh, oh. So... <laughs> So I'm really sorry about that. Oh, thank goodness. I hate reading those stories. <laughs> so, uh, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. My, the producer is saying in my ear, if we could do it in 20 minutes, I don't know. What do we reckon? Should we do a couple of stories? Uh, I can, uh, we can summarize. The KC46 program is still messed up. Hang on, no, no, uh, no, no, no. You've got, you got, to, you got to have, you've got to have, the, hang not on. Not 20 you, seconds. Yeah, not, not 20 seconds. Here we go. Like, uh, hang on, there's your stinger. Like, go nuts. <laughs> Jonathan Warner, this is going to be just for you. We're going to do all four military stories in less than 60 seconds. So right. number okay. one, we talked about a French fighter jet that launched a passenger out the top. Well, that turned out to be a mistake, obviously. Well, apparently, the, the guy wasn't trained for it, and he wasn't prepared. So his seatbelt wasn't tight enough. So as they did some uh, spirited maneuvers, he grabbed on to the ejection handle, uh, and he whoa. pulled that. Right. So that's number one kind of bad form. Well, what, what happened was is he got launched out the top of the airplane, which blew the canopy from the front. But the seat malfunctioned for the pilot. And even though he was supposed to be ejected because he pulled the ejection seat, he wasn't. And the pilot was able to land the airplane. So that's military story. Number one. Right, good. Lovely. OK. Number two, please. Yeah. <laughs> number two, the KC-46 program is completely still messed up. They're going to have to go back to the drawing board. Boeing is taking complete uh, uh, admission to the remote vision system being messed up. Well, and they're Back paying the drawing for it, board. basically, aren't they? they? They've got to pay for it. And Boeing is, is paying for it. Yeah. Story number three, the A-10 is still an A-10, and it can take a beating and keep on flying. This one landed wheels up, and it looks like it's just got a couple scratches on the belly, the belly, and I'm sure it'll be back in the air by probably Monday. Right. It's okay. already fine. <laughs> It's already yeah. fine. Yeah. It's already fine. Yeah. Yeah. And the fourth story was about a pilot that was reunited with the aircraft. He flew back in Vietnam. It was a C-130A model, and uh, he found it at the National Warplane Museum in Geneseo, New York. Uh, he, he was at that museum. He recognized the tail number and realized that he had flown it in Vietnam, which the one question I had for that is, Jeff, have you ever seen one of your C-141s? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. No. He, he drank a beer last week that was made from. A... Well, you know. Well, no, I, honestly, I never really paid close attention to all the different tail numbers that I flew. Um, I'm sure I have them written down somewhere in the logbook. I think they call them logbooks. I don't know. I haven't kept a log. Shh, don't tell anybody. I've not, not kept a logbook since think you, I was hired back 31 and a half years ago. I don't think you need to, to be fair. There'll be somebody within the APG community who will be able to answer all of those questions for you without even looking at a book. I have no doubt. hope so. Yeah. Uh, just, just before we go, uh, there is some uh, breaking news oh, okay. uh, as well. I don't know whether you can uh, be able to see this at all. Uh, right, okay. <laughs> uh, for those listening to the audio podcast, uh, Nev's just put a graphic up on the screen that says, Breaking news, wearing a mask inside your home is now highly recommended, not so much to prevent COVID-19, but to stop you from eating. Oh, yes. <laughs> and that's been a real problem, it has to be said. I've done a lot of baking this last week, and I've put on half a stone in like a week. It's crazy. It's probably part of my fault as well, Matt. <laughs> yeah, it's that, cake, it's that cake that Carlos did a drive-by. A drive-by. Drive -by. He did literally eat 
threw cake at my front door and drove <laughs> off. I, literally, that's what he did. Uh, no, Jeff, I really did. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Not even joking. I, I yeah. threw a bag of cakes yeah, and absolutely. Yeah, at yeah, Matt's yeah. door and then, then burnt and then drove off in yeah. the TriStar van as quick as I could. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Are they very, very hearty cakes? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I still ate them. Uh, I don't know what okay. I don't know, but that tells you more about me than anything else, I think. Uh, <laughs> but uh, there we are. So that's the military in a nutshell. Well done, Armando. Uh, Oh, nice. yeah, that was fun. Don't get any ideas because that may be how we do it from now on. Right. In 60 seconds. <laughs> Armando or Lee, uh, uh, um, Jonathan Warner will literally have a cow man if we do that. So, no, we don't need to do that. Uh, okay, it's time to start roughing up, boys and girls. Jeff, it's been a real pleasure to have you uh, yeah. on Orbit unexpectedly. What a treat. Yeah, a real treat. So, thank you very much yeah. for joining us. Uh, have you got a date? Because I think cause you were actually supposed to be recording yourself this evening, weren't you? Yeah, so it's kind of a weird situation. I, I signed up for uh, enhanced um, broadband internet and uh, AT and T fiber, so that's going to give me like giganet. Oh, uh, No, not giganet. Wow. Gigabit internet. And uh, the guy came this morning and was supposed to install it. And he says, for, "Before I get going here, I need to check to make sure we're getting good light from your porch your cable, in the street yes. or whatever." And I went, "Oh, okay." And then like. About an hour and a half goes by, and I'm thinking, where the heck did he go? And I went outside, and his van was gone, and oh. he, he was nowhere to be seen. I, I don't know what happened to him. I thought, you know, maybe um, next time I'll wear clothes when he comes by. Right. But, I mean, that, that's um, an issue, certainly. Yeah, Yeah, that could be, maybe. Uh, but it, he finally came back and said that uh, one of the, the, the port that is supposed to be used for my, our house, somebody else in the neighborhood a couple of years ago got it because they were having some issues with theirs. And so he said, well, I'm going to turn off your internet for a little while. And he goes, no, you can't do that. I, this, I need this for work. So anyway, long story short, <laughs> turns out that uh, I didn't get the installation today because they have to work out some things with this other, you know, house. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but I still have my current, obviously, uh, internet, uh, cable internet. So um, we could have done the darn show today, turns oh, out. But, <laughs> oh, well. We'll do that tomorrow morning. Okay, uh, I, was, I, I can say what's the date? We might you, the date and time. Although I suppose by the time this goes out, they'll be um, unless they're in yeah, the chat room. Yeah, long yeah. gone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So they don't want to watch it anyway. Yeah, they yeah. will. They, they, yeah. That's right. We all need. We, you know, we're all struggling to sleep at the moment. Uh, that's why we've got so many views uh, at the moment. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I understand. Yes. So, social media links, as always, at the end of the show. Where can everyone find us? Nev, let's 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 let Nev do this bit this week. Just for oh, a chance. thank you. Um, well, you can uh, go to our website, uh, which is plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at plaintalkinguk. Uh, you can find us on facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk. And we have an Instagram account as well, which is plaintalkinguk. So any of those, uh, you'll be able to get us and uh, we'd be delighted to hear from you. Yeah, so don't forget as well, you can send uh, pictures and audio in and videos uh, to our WhatsApp number plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. And you can send uh, your pictures and videos there. And uh, if you send us a nice picture in of something aviation related, which at the moment, let's be honest, is fairly a hard, yeah. is a challenge, uh, Matt can put it on the wall behind yeah. him. Also, uh, uh, for for anything else, we've got a podcast at plaintalkinguk.com as well. Don't forget uh, uh, that. Uh, it's uh, I got a quick message from Jonathan Warner there, actually, in the chat room. He said, hey, Captain Jeff, you flew the T-38. Did you train with flares like the F-5E in the photo 
behind Matt. There you go, look, see. Um, let's see. I don't see the photo behind Matt. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry. One second. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, I actually, I know the answer to. Oh, though, no. Yeah, we did not have flares on the T-38. <laughs> we did flare before we touched down, but not that kind of flare. Not Can you imagine a brand new flight student with, with the ability to punch flares? Right. <laughs> it would not be a good thing. There'd be lots of yeah, speed pressure. Yeah. How many phone calls to the safety office do you think that would re require? <laughs> many. Quite a handful, indeed. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so as I say, I can't remember where I got to earlier. Podcast at playtalkinguk.com. Jeff, in case people are stuck under a, under a stone and they have no idea how to reach you, how do they get in touch with the legend that is the airline pilot guy? Well, if you want to send us feedback, feedback at airlinepilotguide.com. And uh, if you want to send me um, directly uh, email, that's jeff at airlinepilotguide.com. There we are. See. Excellent. Well, thank and you for joining us, Jeff. If you want to complain about anything on our show, send it to liz, L-I-Z, <laughs> at airlinepilotguide.com. Oh, <laughs> poor RTD. I was going to say, you could send it to Pip at Plane Safety. <laughs> yeah, all complaints. Yeah. Any complaint, all complaints. And that goes for, for, our, for, for, for PTUK as well. Any complaints, send them straight any to complaint. Pip. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. So before we wrap up, a big thanks to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. Loads and loads of people in the chat room tonight. It's been brilliant seeing all you guys and girls in there. And I uh, hope you're all safe and uh, well and uh, hopefully see you back next week yeah we're worth mentioning also there's been lots of people offering to take very good care of Jeff's uh, moustache should uh, uh, the Ooh. time arise that you want to take care of it I think you could <laughs> I, you know there, there one, one suggestion in the chat room was actually you know like where you get the, pl the airplane tags um, that is <laughs> that essentially you you know one strand you know we yeah, could yeah. go in a oh key I could put them in like lucite or something absolutely. like little you see yeah yeah wow, I could make some stuff. money you could absolutely this is the way yeah just work. pluck some and yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> family show ladies and gentlemen family show, family show. Uh, okay. so that is where we bring episode 313 to a close Thanks, Carlos, Carlos, have... Carlos, you've yes. forgotten one really important thing Oh, have I? What's that? Yeah, well, you've got to ask everybody what they're doing next week. Oh, sorry, right, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, right, sorry, sorry. Round robin. We'll start. We'll start with. We'll start with our our privileged guest at the moment. Then, so Captain Jeff, what's on the cards for next week? Well, tomorrow, as we just mentioned, uh, part two of uh, this week's uh, episode on uh, APG, episode four twenty. I don't know if you guys understand what 420 means over there. Yeah, no, um, we, we got it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> We're all very see. relaxed about the whole thing. It's all good. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. What else? Um, next week, I had two trips scheduled. Both of them dropped, so I'm kind of on the hook to possibly pick up some recovery flying. But, you know, honestly, I doubt that I'll be flying next week, so I'll be doing nothing. Oh, dear. Uh, Carlos, uh, what's on your itinerary for next week? Um, uh, well, hopefully I, I shall um, be sitting at home living a leisurely life. No, 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 really. Um, I, well, actually, I might have another run for our National Health Service next week. Oh, which, of course, um, yes. is good because it means it gets me out of the house and also makes it's my part to help with what's going on oh, in the yes. country. So I might have another run to Birmingham. Uh, apart from that, I will probably be doing some more pottering around in the garage with some steam engines. Oh dear! Uh, so uh, Armando, you, you, you've you've got a did did I see right? right you've got a couple of days off. 
yeah, so I'm back on the schedule tomorrow oh, for three days of flying. Days and off. then, <laughs> yep, I had four days off. I'm on for three days. And then after that, I've actually got five days off because it is spring break here in the U.S. And I don't know how I'm doing it. But as the lowest seniority guy at my base, I continue to get all the days I requested off. So I'm off for spring break next week. Winning. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The producers just said in my ear, "The roster gods are with you." By the way, it's just well, let's just keep them happy. Yeah, absolutely. So Nev, whatever Nev, it is you're Nev, doing, keep doing it. Yeah. Nev, you've you've obviously you've obviously obviously polished your banana to within an inch of its life. Um, what, <laughs> I beg, I beg your pardon. This week, <laughs> uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen, oh, family show. There's a there's a bleep button, right? Yeah, yeah, there's a bleep. Yeah, yeah, I'll put it in post. It's fine. <laughs> uh, I will be working next week, uh, not on Monday because it's Easter Monday, but uh, uh, I shan't be going anywhere, of course. But doing some work at home. But uh, just looked at my uh, Apple calendar thingy on my phone, and it tells me that it's John Hutchinson's birthday <gasps> on oh. Friday, uh, the seventeenth, and he will be eighty-three years young. Good so heavens. I shall send him a card from all. And yeah, well, I'll be going over to his house. Right, Very yeah, good. absolutely, yeah. Let's let's all do that, shall we? We'll all pop over yeah. there and reminisce right. <laughs> about um, you know Concord and things like that. That's uh, yeah. Just address all of your uh, greeting cards to John Hutchinson, the United Kingdom. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's it. You don't need to do any, they'll find it. They'll find it. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that, and before we before we wrap up the show, can I, I'm just going to give a big thanks as well to Matt Smith, as in our Matt Smith from PTUK, because each week. Um, he is helping me to put on a live event on a Saturday night, which is an in-house disco, which we broadcast. And um, producer John, don't forget that. And, and, and producer John as well. Um, and we put this on. Matt does all the technical stuff. I literally just do the DJing. But we are doing tomorrow night at half past seven a, another kitchen disco from here, from the kitchen, from the old PTUK kitchen studio. We're going to do a Saturday night uh, disco. So for if you're stuck in as well let's be honest most of us are uh now then if you want to have a boogie and it's also a fancy dress night and i can confirm that this afternoon i did go into the lofty areas of the loft at the house here the and dig areas out, of the loft okay. i know and <laughs> so, dig out a uh, a certain costume which i shall not mention which right. i should be wearing okay. tomorrow night so that's half oh, seven tomorrow night right. and uh, yeah big thanks to matt and our producer as well for all their help in putting that on. And unfortunately, absolutely. Do we, have to wear a, do we have to wear a fancy dress? Oh, yes, it's compulsory. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the moustache gotcha. will be enough. You'll be fine. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear Sue's dress. Let's see how that goes. Oh, yeah. Ooh, very nice. She'll be delighted. Yes. <laughs> what, a, what an image. Anyway, uh, so, somebody get me out of this quick. Will so I? that's <laughs> where we're going to bring episode number 313 to a close. Thanks, everyone, in the chat room. Uh, for joining us and thanks to also to everyone who downloads the show as an audio podcast as well thanks to all you guys and girls so from me carlos here in my home studio from matt over in the ptuk studios from nev over in the nev tech studios from armando across the pond and from captain jeff the legend that is have a great weekend and don't eat too many chocolate easter eggs everyone say bye 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 bye, bye. bye.